Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So last time, we covered uh, some of the most notable new commanders coming in Lord of the Rings, uh, Tales of Middle-Earth. But this time, we're going to be focusing on the main deck cards from the main set. So all the new cards that are not legendary creatures that we think are going to have an impact in the commander format. Uh, next week, we'll be going over the commander precons releasing alongside the set. But for now, let's talk about the other 99. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes, for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, I don't see much point in delaying it. Do you want to jump right into the main deck cards from the Lord of the Rings set? Yeah, absolutely. So this first one is, uh, well, since we're starting in Wooburg order, is Dawn of a New Age. So this is a mythic in the set. It costs two mana, one and a white for an enchantment. And Dawn of a New Age has two, two abilities, two lines of text. The first is... Dawn of a New Age enters the battlefield with a hope counter on it for each creature you control. Okay, cool. And at the beginning of your end step, remove a hope counter from Dawn of a New Age. If you do, draw a card. Then if Dawn of a New Age has no hope counters on it, sacrifice it and gain for life. Um, Yeah, that's literally white card draw. <laughs> so it... Uh, like many white card draw effects that they've been experimenting with lately, uh, it is limited to once per turn, but still, like, I don't think it takes that many cards for you to feel like you've gotten your mana's worth. This is a pretty cheap card. Um, how many, like, how many draws do you think would make it worth to cast this card? At what point do you feel good casting Dawn of a New Age? Yeah, that's like, I mean, honestly, two, I, I think two mana enchantment, because I'm assuming I'm going to play this in an, in a deck with enchantment synergies. And if that is the case, like, I'm probably getting more cards out of it than just that, you know, like, I'm, I'm probably getting um, some trigger or buffing something, or, you know, something else is going on there. Um, and then if I just draw two cards off of it anyway, and I can get it back from the graveyard, maybe to cast it again, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. You know, that seems like a pretty decent engine to me or card that can fit into an engine like that. Um, even though it is spread out over two turns, but it's like, what are you doing early game anyway? I guess, I guess I would, this isn't an early game card per se, unless you're like in a mess, mega aggressive deck, but, um, Yeah. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. How are you feeling? So, I mean, when evaluating a card like this, you definitely want to think like sort of how many turns is the average game in your meta. Um, you know, if around turn eight is when your games usually close out, then this does. I mean, you really need to think about does your deck try to curve out with creatures? At what point are you going to have the, say, like minimum two creatures on the board in order for this to be worth casting? And will you have enough turns following that to like make sure you recoup all the cards you want to draw off of it? Um, but I still think it's not 
very difficult to just get two guys on the board in the first like three turns of the game and then still be able to consistently draw off of this after that. Um, although like it, it is easy to make comparisons between this card and Phyrexian Arena, but you know, the prerequisites, I mean, Phyrexian Arena, you can toss into any deck, this deck, this card does have some prerequisites. And so it doesn't go exactly anywhere. Um, but I still think it's a good card for the decks with like a decent creature count. Uh, recommend checking out like hypergeometric calculator, like what cre- creature density are you going to need in order to consistently see them? And of course, count your commander towards that if that's a pretty cheap card. Overall, I think it's a nice new experiment in white card draw. Um, and looking to see more in this vein. We've got a couple other cards like this in the set that kind of play in the same space. But I think we can move on to the next card if you're ready. Uh, yeah, do you want to read this one off? Yeah, this is Flowering of the White Tree. It's a white-white for a legendary enchantment. Legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and have ward one. Non-legendary creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Uh, this is... Uh, I mean... Normally we don't uh look too kindly on just like glorious anthem effects, but this does I mean the rate here is is incredible. Like there's not a lot of easy points of comparison for it. Um I think this is a a pretty solid card. Definitely like four enchantment heavy decks. I was thinking like Arvad or Shanid or Yoshimaru. Um just ones that have a really high density of of low-cost legendary creatures really trying to go wide with them and then i was also i want to get your thoughts on this would you run this in a voltron deck as just like a card you don't have to like keep paying like equipment costs or you don't have to um you can sort of commit it to the board before you drop your commander even though it's like not a huge buff it's something that you can just use to you can like make better use of your mana when you're able to play out the buffs before you play out your commander in a Voltron list. I mean, I do actually like that. Like this is a card that um like I could imagine like maybe like a Hakdos or someone is playing for that same kind of reason where like you get the buff, um the ward is nice, you know, there's like a few cute little things going on there that uh that just people don't account for when they're not paying attention i i think that might work i think there are certain voltron decks for that might feel pretty good actually but um yeah i'll think about that i'll I'll keep an eye out for that i'm i'm not gonna say that that's like a bad thing uh or a bad idea you know just off the the cuff like that (laughs) sure sure um another quick question for you so like rally the ranks is kind of as another potential point of comparison uh it's one in the white for an enchantment as it enters the battlefield you choose a creature type creatures of the chosen type get plus one plus one uh that's in sixteen thousand decks on eda trek obviously mostly tribal builds but do you think flowering of the white tree has potential um just sort of at that level like would you run this in a mono white tribal deck knowing that it's like most of the time it's maybe slightly better than rally the ranks and then 
a lot better if you have a significant number of legendary creatures. Yeah, I think if I am running a bunch of legends, then I'm I'm definitely feeling a lot better about uh about this card. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. If I'm running a bunch of legends in my list, um I'm trying to think of I guess in this set there's some more fun things. I can't think of the name of a legends legend commander, Rat Radadrabic <laughs> or something like that. Um I guess that's more of a comboy build. Hmm. Who who would I be putting that? I guess it's for your homebrew, you're like, I'm making a so and so legends deck in white. Right? Well, like, I'm, am I, I'm am I, I think it's definitely well, I you know, Arvalad, Shannon, Yoshimaru, the ones I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but uh even aside from just like Legends Matter, like at what rate do you run a Glorious Anthem? Is this still not worth a card or does the potential no i i think two for two is worth a card i think that that is like if you're gonna play this and it's going to be two and ward one most of the time then like that that's worth it i think that's that's something that uh you're you're getting a pretty good deal on it okay uh let's move on to the next card this is forge anew it's two and a white for an enchantment when it enters the battlefield, return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. As long as it's your turn, you may activate equip abilities any time you could cast an instant. And you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate during each of your turns. So a couple things going on here. Um, how do you feel about this card overall? I think I like this. I, I think <laughs> this card appeals to me a lot because it's doing a lot of things that I tend to enjoy doing. Um, like reanimating artifacts from my graveyard. Um, and then like, it's, it's basically the key one there and then like cheating costs. So I, I can see that there are decks that might want something like this, but I've been trying to think about like, if I'm just running a deck that's going to have like a Stoneforge mystic or something like that in it, is this the goods? Is this the good stuff that I'm wanting? And I think I think it's fine. I think if you're playing this in like a generic Arden deck list, or maybe not Arden, maybe like a um the cat Balan Wandering Knight or something like that. Um well even then yeah, he cheats right. on he cheats on costs too. So I do think that it's not nothing (laughs) i think that like you are going to enjoy this the redundancy won't be nice in some decks um but uh, yeah the etb i feel like if you're not planning on doing that like if you're not playing like blue white and looting or like red white and rummaging or um like expecting your stuff to get blown up or stuff like that then uh i'm really not sure how much value you get on the front end of it but I do know that, like, in general, saving, like, 9 to 10 mana a turn, like, not just equipping everything to your board, like, not just taking your whole board and stick it on your commander or something like that does save you, like, a lot of effort and time. So, um, I'm, I think I'm high on this. This is another one that I'm like, I think I'm high on this, but I don't, okay. I don't really have a Voltron deck, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a problem I have too. I don't um I haven't played like an equipment based deck in a while, so it's a little difficult to evaluate the like 
reanimation aspect of the card mm. are in the Voltron decks like how often are my equipment getting blown up um tough yeah, to say it is it's hard to say and then i feel like now when i'm playing against Voltron decks there's always like a contingency plan you know like someone's got some way to stop the thing from getting blown up or like an artificer's intuition or um like a Tamiyo's uh protection or whatever you know those Tamiyo safekeeping blacksmith skill yeah blacksmith there you go yeah so yeah i don't know i think this is the kind of thing i this appeals to me because like i said like i like rummaging i like looting you usually get it at like a really good rate so you can kind of tear through your list and then just know that you're going to draw your Forge anew, play your Forge anew, and then boom, like got my thing that I discarded two turns ago back and I can start my game plan moving. So that, that, that could make sense in like, you know, red, white X mm-hmm. equipment decks where you're able to run the critical mass of those things. And when you draw the Forge anew, like it's just kind of free mana yeah, it's free and real a card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just like some points of comparison. Um, so in the main deck, Arden and Halvar, the like two mono white commanders that are able to kind of equip things for free, um, they're in 24,000 and 26,000 decks on EDH rec, rec respectively. So uh, there definitely is some value to like free equipping in the 99. Um, but the difference between those cards and Forge Anew is that like they're often being run in decks like Nihiri 2.0 or Akiri 2.0. Um, these decks that give you some kind of reward for having equipment on things. Um, and like Arden and Halvar can carry swords when they need to in order to count for Akiri 2.0 or Nihiri 2.0. So Forge Anew does... By not having it, by being an enchantment rather than a creature, uh, even though it is less fragile, it loses out on some value in that way. That being said, like activating equip abilities in timing cast an instant, some equipment out there where that's really cracked, just being able to move yeah. lightning greaves around as an instant is really strong. Um, I think there are few enough of these effects that it'll probably see, see play but I definitely think is less valuable than Arden and Halvar. So I would expect significantly less adoption than those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I like, I don't think it's going to be impossible to pick up copies of this card, but it probably like at some point, well, no, this is a pretty generic name and stuff. They could reprint this without having to do universes within. So maybe, maybe I'm thinking too hard about that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I do like this card. I, I like the directions they're pushing white, and we're going to keep talking about some more of these. Uh, <laughs> some more of the next few cards we're going to talk about are uh, very much things I'm excited to see. So do you want to get on to the uh, the next card here? Sure. Uh, next card is Lost to Legend. It's white, white for an instant. Put target non-land historic permanent into its owner's library fourth from the top. So as a reminder... Artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. Um, so what do you think about this card? Um, it's modal removal. Um, it's 
less flexible than some white things we've seen before, like certainly not a generous gift or an excise the imperfect. Um, but do you think like in your metagame, it hits enough things that you would want to run this? And if so, like what color identities would you want to put it in? Yeah, I actually do like this card a lot. I like that it's not destroying it. So it gets around um, like the indestructible and stuff like that. Um, historic permanence, especially early in the game, your soul rings, your fast mana, you're like really like gnarly two mana commanders and stuff like that. Your brawls, your hypotras or whatnot. Um, the, this is basically a pretty good catch all to those. And it's also, I really like it because in the early games is when most people are fetching and ramping and et cetera, et cetera. So if you, they go like turn like two commander or turn to like Sylvan library or something. And you go, I guess not Sylvan library, but um, like, some like grim monolith or something and you lost a legend it like it now they can't ramp in other ways or they can't use their fetches or rampant growths or whatever too so that's something that's really appealing to me um probably in like white blue this is probably like the best one i was thinking about because white blue like yeah you have like the ravens raven form and um the the prismari uh, exile spell but this hits slightly more things more of the time or at least problem permanence that often pop up for that mainly like legendary creatures um so i feel like that's a good place for it i might i don't know would you play this in like boros because i feel like white black you have an embarrassment of riches maybe yeah Selesnia. yeah because Blue has not only like resculpt and raven form, as like you mentioned, but also like um, counter spells and things like Pongify, rapid hybridization. I feel like I don't want to play this in white blue because white blue even has other ways of just like putting things on top of their owner's library mm-hmm. or, or bouncing things to hand or something. Um, I, I think I would definitely test it in mono white. Um, in Boros, hmm, the the mo- like mode of hitting artifacts is less useful. Maybe in Boros because you're already getting access to things like a braid or, you know, artifact destruction isn't too hard to come by in that color identity. I like it. I think I like the idea of it. I think I would mm, try it in white green. Yeah, right. And yeah. That seems like the best place now. Like really really putting this into to the test, putting the brain Yeah, I feel I feel most metal. safe saying mono white. Um I think that you have few enough options there that feel really good that I would definitely want to put it there. Um Yeah, it's an interesting new card. I think this is good, but I would also like to see more answers that are less narrow and and sort of on the level of excise the imperfect. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I agree. So cool spell, definitely flavorful. <laughs> and I I think it's just one of those things where like your meta is going to depend on like if this is the the right fit for you, you know. Um 
But let's get on to the next one, which is a land, actually. Um, so do you want me to read this one off? Go for it. So, um, yeah. So this is Minas Tirith. This is a legendary land. Um, and it says, tap, add white. Oh, sorry. First, I, f- <laughs> I skipped the first line. Uh, so it's a legendary land. Minas Tirith enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. So very important. This could... Enter the battlefield untapped, and it taps for a white, which is pretty good. It also has one white tap, so two mana untap. Draw a card. Activate only if you attacked with two or more creatures this turn. Um, This is great. This is like, this is exactly what I would have hoped white card draw looked like, you know? Like, doesn't fit, like, doesn't take up a slot in your deck. Enters untapped most of the time. Like... Draws you a card when you have like nothing else to do, or you can't like spend all your mana in a turn. Like this is, I love this. This is so good. Yeah, I'm really into this card. Um, the opportunity to cost to run it is just so so low, and the activation is a lot cheaper than I would have expected. Like if somebody told me there was a land like this that could draw you a card that had an activation to draw you a card if you attacked with two or more creatures, I would have guessed like three or four tap. Um, but this is a solid rate. Uh, I, I'm like now ask, we're getting to the point where I'm like starting to ask myself, you know, what deck wants this chivalric Alliance, fire main commando wedding announcement. Um, like white is still inconvenienced by the fact that it has so little evasion. Um, it has like, some flyers but not on there's usually not a lot of flying on the cheap utility creatures that are going to help you fill out your board and sort of get attacking um i was thinking like mary esquire of rohan that's a new commander that we um didn't really touch on last time but it it has this ability whenever you attack with it and another legendary creature you draw a card so Commanders that are already incentivizing attacking with two or more creatures, that's an easy win. Um, also, like potentially uh, decks that are focused on creature types that naturally have a lot of flying. I'm thinking like spirit decks or um, bird decks. Uh, yeah. So, like tribal identities that are easily like solving that evasion problem. Um, and then potentially just. Decks that are either able to protect their attackers somehow, like Audric 2.0 can give all your guys indestructible, or um, decks where you're just like making a lot of tokens, pumping them up. You don't care about your individual creatures that much. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of white archetypes that can use this card effectively. I don't know if I would run this in just like white good stuff where i'm just running all of the good white cards in one place because if you're just going for max power level you're not going to get um the kinds of cards that can attack freely without risking themselves in combat Mm -hmm. yeah i don't really know if i have like too much more to add to that it's I think this is going to be one of the things where like you end up putting it into a lot of decks on the off chance that you can use it often. And like, mm-hmm. it's not gonna, 
but it's not like the main attraction. There's going to be more turns where you're like, huh, yeah, I guess I could minus tier this turn, but like doing that isn't necessarily like what's like going to be uh, most lucrative for you, I guess. So, um, yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm at with that one. I, I think yeah. it's a really cool card in general. <laughs> I think it's a good card to pick up. I think because the opportunity cost is so low to run, like you can put it in a lot of decks. And maybe, maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way by saying like, oh, just like the deck that wants to cast like Esper Sentinel into Deep Gnome Terramancer um, can't use this that effectively. But who cares when it's often just like a planes you know Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Um, yeah it's it's just it's just not taking up any space (laughs) mm -hmm. uh one last thing i want to mention i want to mention that's like true for most of this cycle um there are just like one or two decks in the format where uh having legendary lands matters in some way so like Shannon Sleeper's Scourge, uh, one of the pre-con commanders from Dominaria United, um, she has the ability whenever you play a legendary land, you lose one life and draw a card. So that deck wants to run as many legendary lands as possible. Yeah. All the, the legendary lands from LTR that are in that color identity you should probably just run them. Um, similarly, there is... Ooh, what's the um, Obzon Elf from the from Fiora, the conspiracy. Um, uh, but he was printed in like a corset. Um, oh, um, uh, three color conspiracy. He's, he's like flavored as being from, um, the Fiora, the, okay. Kethis, the hidden Kethis. hand. Oh, okay. I was like, which, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. Uh, so he has the ability to exile two legendary cards from your graveyard until end of turn. Each legendary card in your graveyard gains. You may play this card from your graveyard. So he also is like typically on like a self mill plan or like discard plan and having a bunch of legendary, cre- legendary lands just like randomly in your mana base. is going to make it a lot easier for you to activate his ability so that's another place where you kind of just run all the ones you can possibly fit in especially since the deck is full of legendary creatures you can often get these lands to come in untapped um Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely all right uh, but i think we can yeah yeah i was gonna say but that but that leads us to the next card (laughs) which is awesome Yeah, this is a simple one. It is Reprieve. One and a white for an instant. Return target spell to its owner's hand. Draw a card. What do you think about Reprieve? Um, that is a great question. Um, I love it, actually. <laughs> um, I am feeling uh, like this is a card I'm actually going to end up playing a lot. I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that like runs Mana Tithe in like, white decks like non-blue white decks um but this is you have a lot more control over it it can save your board on a big turn which is really cool um so i yeah i think it's a really like important thing that white gets more stack interaction um wherein at the same time just like doesn't cost you anything (laughs) like like i'm just happy to 
happy to be here with reprieve it's just like we're hanging out i reprieve your thing it didn't i didn't have to think about anything we're both like you got your card in your hand my board isn't wrathed i know it's coming now you know there's there's a million different ways in which like this card will just save your butt um so yeah the the mode of just like cycling it um just like kind of casting it on anything to draw your card and like often cost your opponent a lot of tempo um that is really sweet it um just means that this card's never going to be terrible your opponents are always going to be casting spells that's not that hard uh and then it is a way for white not only to interact with the board wipes that are so often a problem for its aggressive decks um but also it just gives you one of very very few ways to just interrupt a combo or a card where like removal wouldn't do anything for you like you know if you have a swords to plowshares in your hand that crater hoof will have done its damage just by the etb but a reprieve on a crater hoof behemoth will save your life yeah Um, there's not (laughs) a lot of white cards that can really do that and the one like sort of point of comparison for this card the one kind of precedent in white lapse of certainty um is mm, i would say mostly worse you know it like holding up three mana is difficult in a color identity that's not very good at ramping but that sees play in over twelve thousand decks on edh rec like it's awful it's clearly not a good card but people are running it and i think reprieve is just a huge upgrade um unless your opponent is has enormous amounts of mana and bouncing their wrath of god back to their hand just means okay i'll cast it again cast it again right now move, yeah. yeah and move on with my day um but often you know this is going to buy you a lot of time um at i mean at least a turn which can be all the world with an aggressive deck and it'll also sort of uh reveal your opponent's plan to everyone else it can sort of be like well i've got it this turn and that's my answer my that's my one counter spell in my white deck uh, somebody else has got to be ready to deal with this the next time this person plans to cast whatever haymaker. Um, one small detail that's worth noting. you So this actually works around uncounterable spells. So even if an opponent has like a Allosaurus Shepherd or similar effect, this can still stop that Crater Hoof from ruining your day. Um, and there are... <laughs> this is extremely goofy. Uh, but you can use it to kind of shortcut the um approach of the second sun, oh. like wind condition. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, if you're trying to do that in like your white control deck or something, um, you can always just cast approach, bounce it to your hand with your own reprieve, cast it again next turn, and you've won the game in two turns rather than seven. Um, so. Something to think about. I know a lot of people like the idea of approach to the second sign as a a mono white win condition, so just gains a little bit of extra value there. Um, Any other thoughts on reprieve before we move on? No, no, I think we got uh, did that pretty well. So uh, the next card uh, is a legend in the set, but is uh, mainly a card we're going to be talking about as uh, in regards to like as a card in the ninety nine. So this is. 
uh, Rosie Cotton of South Lane. Um, there's actually just a bunch to say about this card. Um, the first thing, I think the, the most, like the biggest, uh, point to mention here, uh, is that it just, it just combos so easily. Like this is one of those cards that just like, I don't know. There's the biggest combo is scurry Oak. Um, but create a token, put a plus one, plus one counter. Oh, okay. I'll read off the card and then we'll talk about it. So Rosie Cotton of South Lane is a one, one halfling peasant for three mana. Um, she has, when Rosie Cotton of South Lane enters the battlefield, create a food token. A food is exactly what you think it is. Um, and then whenever you create a token, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control other than Rosie. Uh, notably, this is not uh, once a turn, <laughs> like with uh, other white effects we've been getting a lot recently. Well, first, okay, let's talk about the combo. The combo that's easiest is you have to be in white green, and it's with a card called Scurry Oak. So Scurry Oak, um, for those who might not remember, um, is a three mana, one, two, is that what it is? Yes, it is a three mana, one, two, creature tree folk. Um, that uh, costs two and a green, and it has Evolve, and Evolve is whenever uh, a creature with bigger power or toughness enters the battlefield, uh, you put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. Um, And then it has whenever one or more plus one, plus one counters are put on Scurry Oak, you may create a one, one green squirrel creature token. Uh, So you can kind of see just immediately how that works. You play Scurry Oak, you... Ooh, sorry. You play Scurry Oak, you play uh, Rosy Cotton of South Lane, you get a food token, uh, you put a plus one plus one counter on Scurry Oak, um, you get a squirrel, you put a plus one plus one counter on Scurry Oak, you get a squirrel, you you know, blah, 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 to infinity. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the main biggest combo. That's one of the things in the set that um, people have been talking about as like an interaction in like modern and stuff like that. Um, what about Commander? So, like, how are you feeling about this card in Commander decks? So, I think, um, well, it has applications in the main deck of a couple Commanders. So, Gave and Marath, Will of the Wild, uh, both of those two have the ability to um, remove counters from them in order to create tokens. So, if you have Rosie on the battlefield as well as one of them, you like pay one mana, remove a counter, create a token, and then Rosie will put the to- the counter right back on your commander. So it just becomes pay one mana, make one guy. And those decks are just kind of like combo engines, and they have a lot of ways to convert that token like back into mana, or even just like create mana without even using up the token. Or um, it just it's very easy to develop a, a three-card combo using Rosie as one of the pieces. So I think it's very good in those decks. Um, I'm not eh, crazy about the Scurry Oak combo. I think there's like... I mean, it's not bad. It doesn't win the game immediately, though. Like, I wouldn't be tooth and nailing for this and the Scurry Oak. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, you still have to attack next turn. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but... So I'm, I'm less high on the combo, but definitely like the synergy with the commanders that it works well with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
as a card in decks, there's, I think you mentioned like the good ones, but just really any commander that's making tokens like Vulture, like a Tana, the Bloodsower deck, like this seems like if you're like white Tana, that's a pretty good place to, uh, to put stuff like this. Um, I think that this is going to be a card that we end up seeing a lot, <laughs> basically. Like I just, it, it really looks like a really innocuous card that's going to uh, do a lot of of work over the next coming years, um, which I guess gets us to this next one, because I actually want to have a discussion about this card with you. <laughs> so um, I guess, can I read it off and then you tell me how you feel about it? Does that sound good? Go for it. Yeah. So this is Tale of Tenuviel. So this is a new saga. Um, so it's an enchantment. Cost five mana, uh, and it says, uh, so three white-white for Tale of Tenuviel. Chapter one, target creature you control gains indestructible for as long as you control Tale of Tenuviel. Chapter two, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Chapter three, up to two target creatures you control each gain lifelink until end of turn. So yeah, so that's that's where I'm at with that. How are you, how are you feeling about this card so, right here. I was a little lower on it um before I like played with it in uh in my pre-release. Um but I still think it's not amazing. I I really would want I mean the the value of the card is is loaded onto the second ability. Yeah. Um and I don't think that you're desperate enough to run a reanimation spell with suspend 1. In yeah. your white X reanimator yeah. decks, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so that that's kind of a, a turnoff because I think that like that's the part of the like paying five mana for reanimation in white. I would do that. I've done that before. Um, but waiting a turn is is just too much and puts it too far behind all the other options. The granting indestructibility for a couple turns, it's nice, but it's just like not a very long window in which to use it to break symmetry on a sweeper. So maybe if you've got like 10, you know, nine or 10 mana, maybe you can do this and the sweeper in the same turn, but more likely what's going to happen is you play tale of Tunuviel, um, next turn or like the following turn, you bring something back. Well, even then, like you're bringing something back in t- and then casting the sweeper. Like you're not able to do it before the second ability triggers. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not, it just doesn't work out super well. Um, and just like casting indestructible just to avoid opponent's removal. Okay. But they can just, if they can't cast like their removal in response to you playing this, they can always just wait like two turns. One thing I will say about this, I think Tom Bombadil is not the end all be all of saga commanders. He's pretty good and he's certainly like got more synergy than just like the five color good stuffy commanders people were trying to with before, like trying to make it work with before. Yeah. But um I think that like there's an easy win in terms of another like saga design. They could always just make a commander that said sagas you control have read ahead. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they ever do that, 
then I would pay a lot more attention to this card. Um, but right now, there's just a not a whole lot of places to to run this. Uh, would I put it in Tom Bombadil? Yeah, that is a good question. I'm I'm thinking mm, maybe like his his indestructibility and hexproof are very unreliable, mm-hmm. but he also does just doesn't like he's devoting so much of his deck to sagas that you don't have a ton of creatures that you're planning to reanimate and the lifelink doesn't really matter. So probably not. I'm leaning. I don't know. I just don't think there's a really a deck for this, but tell me if you disagree. No, I I feel the same way. Like this seems like if, uh, for our friendly neighborhood, um, like, meme deck brewers i guess i'm not quite sure like what to what to call that um this is a card that like will work in like a very strange circumstance you know like like some some deck where someone your friend brings like a uh it's instance and sorceries like uh aragorn or something you know like whatever like that might be that's where this seems like it's gonna fit uh you're playing Mm -hmm. like enchantress voltron with uh the one um merfolk what's her name the bant merfolk that should have been abzan uh her name now tuvasa tuvasa yeah there you go like stuff like that like but it's not a necessary piece to like any of these puzzles so yeah I, i agree i think it's a really interesting card but it's just not doing that much you know so all that said let's get to the next one which is um kind of wild so this is the battle of bywater so the battle of bywater is a white sorcery costs three mana one white white and the bottle oop and the battle of bywater says destroy all creatures with power three or greater then create a food token for each creature you control um Wow. <laughs> That's uh, we have a, a decent amount of these at this point. Yeah, uh this is I mean we, we there's not a lot there are cards that are like this, but nothing that's exactly it. So like Dusk Dawn is the probably the easiest point of comparison, also destroys all creatures with power three or greater. Um costs four mana on the front end, but also has the aftermath potential of like getting your, your low power guys back from your graveyard. Um but the Dusk Dawn sees play in 41,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, and I, I think this easily slots into most of those decks that you would run that card in. So like Arcades the Strategist um, is all about, you know, running your walls and committing a lot of low power, high toughness creatures to the board. Similarly, similarly there's Doran also kind of going for low power, high toughness. Um, Rigo and Baldin um, incentivize like low power and high toughness creatures, respectively. Um, Tadius, uh, that's one of the universes within, um, sort of like the the reskin of Dalsim, also tends to run low power guys. So I think there's a lot of decks out there that this works well in. Um, I think that as we are getting more just sort of good utility white creatures. Like Esper Sentinel, Deep Gnome Terramancer, um, 
uh, what's what's that other one? Um, Archivist of Ogma. Mm-hmm. There's more. There's more power being concentrated in like cheap white creatures than there used to be, and this could end up being a card that is just like a good stuff white card instead of like specifically the low power deck. Um, but I, I like this card a lot. To me, the food is just kind of a bonus, but it's fine. It's something to do with your leftover mana if you you got nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, or if you just have like something to do with that, you know, like um, I can turn these uh, into like mana or creatures or counters or you know you have some engine or something that the food becomes like good and if you're making a bunch of thopters your thopters all live um you get a bunch of food you turn those food into something else like that that seems like a pretty good use for a card like this um so yeah i'm i'm just happy to see more wraths like the more the more specific wraths that are printed the cheaper they all get because people get to play with like the ones that suit their needs best in like whatever deck they happen to be making and there's so many designs there's so many ways to say destroy a subset of creatures that i think that's just going to be something we see for forever um so yeah do you have anything else you want to mention before we keep going uh no let's move on to the next card I can read this one off. Um, mm-hmm. This is War of the Last Alliance. It's three and a white for an enchantment saga. Chapters one and two are both search your library for a legendary creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And then chapter three is creatures you control gain double strike until end of turn, and the ring tempts you. So uh, this is more legendary tutoring. Um, this is a they, they haven't dipped their toes into this a ton. We've seen like a little bit with like Search for Glory or Thalia's Lancers. Um, but what stands out to me about this card is just the fact that you're getting to search for two things. And whenever I see that, I start thinking about two card combos. Um, so I was thinking like. Maybe in like a Bant shell, you could get Emil the Blessed and like a an Azor to sort of lock your opponents out of casting instants and sorceries. Or you could use um, Rasputin Dreamweaver and generate infinite colorless mana and then funnel that back into Emil the Blessed and get infinite blinks on whatever creatures you want. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, I don't know if there's any other like legendary uh combos that easily come to mind for you no i mean not not in like yeah like i think if you're like if you're in a deck where like sisse isn't your your five colors and sisse is a card you can get you know like that that doesn't really count though you know like that's just cheating your wishing for more wishes kind of thing so, yeah, but this does seem really good. Like, this is a card that I'm actively going to want to play in, like, a few of my decks, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> like, um, and the fact that 
they're printing more legends and white gets the like legends matter cards um i'm super into i'm i really love it so um i'm excited to see this in like combo builds i'm excited to see this just as a tool in toolbox top toolboxes for decks um yeah i i uh just excited in general whenever white gets like good card draw card selection like this i'm i'm just glad that that's happening and again i'm like not to i i want to not talk about this more this episode but like i just hope that this doesn't get prohibitively expensive it's not expensive right now but like if people pick up on it or if it becomes a card people want to play because it's in such a weird like universes beyond set i just really hope it like uh people don't freak out <laughs> you know um but it is like a set set this time so like it's as many cards as are in a set for the most part it's going to probably be reprinted i'm pretty sure so yeah so that's my concerns i love this card i think it's really cool i i really hope to see more white cards like this like just really specialized you know it's a saga it's an enchantment it gets legendary mm-hmm. cards ooh it was so many things yeah, definitely like not a card you can jam into any deck. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of in terms of just like fair non-combo uses? Like, um, you know, would you be happy just using this to grab, I don't know, like an Elish Norn or, or some sort of like um, utility legendary creature? Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually kind of, I guess what I'm getting at um, is that I think that there are decks that are going to want to have a creature that's like a main part of the like um think about in the the last like year we had the abdel adrian the gorion's ward come out in like baldur's gate and Mm. that's a big part of a lot of combos but isn't a lot of people's commander so like being able to like tutor that card up and like maybe another card you need or um getting your uh anafenza tree spirit to combo with something or grabbing your um uh i've been talking about them on this podcast all the time the uh jorkadine to like pump your board once you have enough creatures or your aurelia the war leader or something like that like that this seems like there it's not a card i'm going to want to put in every white deck but there are white decks that are going to really love a card like this where there's like a card in the deck that uh, really makes everything tick like a, a Benny Brax or something like that, that all of a sudden you just have an, another card that easily makes your engine start rolling. So that I'm, I'm super down. I, 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 yeah, I don't think this is just like a, an immediate white staple, but it's like as close as you can get to that without being called good stuff. I guess <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's going to get like a surprising number of engines for people. Um, just because they keep printing these legendary creatures that are basically engines, you know, like um, Celestine, the living saint from the um, 40k decks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> I think this is not for every deck, but you'll know when you want it. Um, yeah, and if you know of any um, fun combos that involve two legendary creatures please let us know uh i have been like trying to dig up some in the background you know like heliod (laughs) sun crowned and shalai and halar Um, that's a good one that's another 
yeah, yeah there's a an infi damage combo for you but still i'm sure there's um better ones with like a more narrow color identity that we're not thinking of so let us yeah. know if you've you've got a sweet one there's gotta be like anafenza or something like that you know like a some kind of loop or something but i'm sure yeah, let us, i'm let sure us there's know. something out there let us know please um, all right, uh, moving on to the next card. This is Westfold Rider. It is one in a white for a creature human knight. It's a 3-1, and it has Sacrifice Westfold Rider, Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment, Activate Only as a Sorcery. Um, so this does look quite a bit worse than Cathar Commando. I'm not going to dispute <laughs> that. Uh, but it's still one of very few options for just like creatures that you can cash in to blow up artifacts enchantments in white um it's a great option for feeding white's cheap creature reanimation engines it's it's still a lot better than the next best choice which is like capuchin unicorn where you gotta pay two mana and tap it and sacrifice it to blow something up like ah no thank you um so i think it's still a a good role player um but let me know or do you have any other thoughts on this card no i mean you basically hit the nail on the head it's like uh it's a another good card that sacks itself in white that's cheap that you can loop that takes out problem enchantments and stuff it's just i'd run both of these cards in uh in decks that want one of them you know like Still a human, still works in human tribal, if that matters. It's a knight for all these knight tribal decks that are coming out. Um, yeah. So if you're all good, let's get on to uh to the blue cards in the set. Sure. Uh we don't have a ton of them to talk about, actually. Yeah, there's there's very few in this in this episode. Uh but go ahead and read off this first one and then we'll jump into it. Yeah. So this is Born Upon a Wind, and I'm pretty high on this one. This is a blue instant. It costs one and a blue that says you may cast spells this turn as though they had flash. And then it says, draw a card. Um, yeah, I'm just sign me up. Like, am I just going to put this in every blue deck I have? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> like if I can find a card, I don't mind cutting. Um, this is so cool. This is fun. It's not crazy powerful. You're not really cheating on anything but timing, you know, like this just seems great. Yeah. Similar to reprieve. This just has like a very high floor. It's never going to be awful. You can always cycle it if it's not about to do anything. Um, And there are lots of situations where, I mean, at the very least, okay, I flash in a blocker and eat your guy, Um, but it could even be something as good as like well i'll play the first half of my combo at the end of your turn and then i untap and play the second half of my combo and now i win just like being able to um get really powerful synergies on the board without with like minimal exposure to your opponent's interaction seems great it's also really good if you are you know want the ability to hold open some powerful instance maybe that's just like counter spells, maybe it's like an ink shield or something, and then still get value if you're not if like the situation doesn't present itself where you want to use those things, or like hold open a cyclonic rift, and okay, like nobody's 
alpha striking me, nothing really threatening is happening. I'll just born upon the wind, drop in my commander or something. Um, seems like a, a great, very flexible card. Um, I'm pretty into it. Yeah, basically all that. I'm just uh, sign me up. Super, super down. Um, I guess can I read off this next one? Yes, go ahead. So this is Meneldor Swift Savior. So this is an uncommon in the set. This is a 3-3 bird soldier for four mana, three and a blue. Uh, obviously it has flying. It's a bird. <laughs> it's a it's a blue bird. Um, and it says whenever Melendor Swift Savior deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target creature you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. So this is a um, another legend from the set that we're talking about in the main deck. So this is another basically like flicker outlet in mono blue, which is I think the really notable thing about it. Like white has been getting like a teleportation circle and a little bit of love in this regard, but this is a, a pretty decent flicker engine if you can get it going. Yeah, I, I like this card. It's not um, crazy powerful. It's it's certainly like not on the level of Thassa Deep Dwelling, but with there's just not a huge amount of like repeatable blink engines out there. This one doesn't require any initial any additional investment in of mana after you first drop it. And there's of course like lots of good ETB triggers in Commander. Um blue also has it there's like pretty low opportunity cost to run things like clones. So being able mm-hmm. to like flicker your clones, have them come back as something else, that's really nice. Um it just uh I, I think this is a fun neat little card for blue decks that have like a pretty high concentration of clones or etb creatures things like that yeah absolutely which i guess gets us to our our next blue card so the next card we're going to be talking about is stern scolding this is a single blue mana for an instant counter target creature spell with power or toughness two or less um so i mean potentially this could hit a lot of things um there's certainly a lot of utility creatures in commander that this is going to get hit by plenty of popular commanders what it i mean i can uh i can sort of just share my experience like playing it in a pre-release uh, i played two copies because it seemed good and of course like even in limited there's even more creatures that sort of like the, the the range of playable creatures and playable creature sizes is narrower, but still there were long turns where I didn't have a lot of hits for it. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe in a, you know, more constructed format like commander, that wouldn't be an issue. Um, I personally am like less interested in, an answer this narrow generally compared to like you know a swan song which at least hits a lot of different card types yeah which is Um, like a pretty wide swath of things yeah like i don't run um remove soul in commander and this is not only limited to creatures but also creatures of a very particular size um but let me are how how are you feeling about it like have you been seeing a lot of buzz about it or do you want to push back on anything i said 
No, I actually, I'm not going to push back on anything you said at all. I think that that is like, obviously like correct. I think that the amount of things that it does counter is making me look at it. So I guess what I'm going to say to, um, to people is like, let us know their experiences with it. But like, it stops a lot of like engines, obviously like it, it's, it's basically like a kill spell for little guys in blue. Um, you're countering like mana dorks or like white main lions, but it, you're also countering like uh, a lot of like legendary creatures. So your Adrix and Nivs, your Alila Artful Provocateurs, I think those are some of the ones that like made me go like, oh, okay, that's pretty good because you're spending one mana to stop their commander it's like a pretty low investment like you stop like bragos you stop uh uh calyxes or two lanes and things like that so the fact that it hits so many like really powerful commanders that was what like was really kind of getting me on this card um so that's kind of where i'm like expecting to see it i guess like Counters Azusa, it counters um oh, who's another one that like Chainer Nightmare Adept, you know, it counters uh who's a who's a nasty guy. You're like Hannah Ships Navigators and things like that. So it I I'm just, just the fact that there are so many legendary creatures that get got by this, uh even like a Jared Golgari Lichlord on the stack, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um that's what made me take notice of it. It might just play awfully because I, I don't, you're right. Like I don't know a lot of people that play remove soul for like specifically countering people's commanders. That was something that people I feel like used to do a lot more than they do now because there's just not really a reason to like one for you, you kind of like are just down cards all around. You, you spent a card, your opponent still technically has a card in hand and your two other opponents still have a card. <laughs> so like not the best rate, but sometimes it does save you, especially if there's just something really nasty going on. But I guess let's just talk about this next card. This is our last blue card. We're going to talk about in this episode. Sure. Uh, this next card is storm of Saruman. It's four blue, blue for an enchantment with ward three. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, copy it, except the copy isn't legendary you may choose new targets for the copy. Um, This is, I think, a trap. Um, (laughs) This is definitely like a big, you know, six mana do nothing type of card. Um, (laughs) And I think like the easiest point of comparison is like double vision. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So double vision only copies your instants and sorceries, but it cop um copies the first one you cast each turn. And that is just so, so much better than copying the second. So for example, with double vision, you can just like um play it and then cast like one spell on opponent A's turn, opponent B's turn, opponent C's turn, and then your turn, and then copy all of them. Whereas that's it's much more difficult to get multiple um, Storm of Saruman triggers because you have to commit not only the mana for the spell you want to copy, but the mana for whatever spell you're casting, like just to get the first spell out of the way. Yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, it's this is. I, I mean, I saw uh, this is like. I mean, not really super applicable to Commander, but just after seeing mm-hmm. like it cast in Limited, somebody just like spent their whole turn to cast it. And then next turn, they played one small creature and then a second small creature, and they got to copy the second small creature. And it was like, was that worth skipping your whole turn to set up? And then they weren't able to get any additional mana off of it because they died immediately after. <laughs> it was just um, like, mm, it's... I'm not super keen on this. Yes, I get you can do like some cool things. There are some things that are very powerful to copy. If you can like play Storm of Saruman, pass. It it is admittedly like annoying to kill. It will probably take up an opponent's entire turn's worth of tempo to deal with it. Um and then maybe next turn you cast like a cantrip and then a time warp. It's like, okay, that's pretty good. Um but boy, it's it's just like a whole lot of not impacting the board and has a lot of requirements. Um, I'm, I'm just not crazy in love with this card. Yeah. I I think this is a really specific card. Like I don't, I don't think this is a generic card in the same way that you brought up double vision, which is uh, a card that I play with a decent amount and like enjoy, but I'm specifically building decks to utilize it. And I was going to mention a Tomb of Horrors Adventurer as like a comparison to this card as well. It has a similar trigger. So Tomb of Horrors Adventurer is a six mana four four elf monk from Baldur's Gate. Costs five and a blue. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, you take the initiative. Not going to talk about that in this episode. <laughs> um, and then whenever you cast your second spell each turn, copy it. If you've completed a dungeon, copy that spell twice. Instead, you may choose new targets for the copy. This is a card I played with a decent amount since Baldur's Gate, and I've really enjoyed it. I feel like this is what's going to happen with Storm of Saruman, where you you just have a deck where it works. Like if you are playing Storm of Saruman and you are getting like the nuts, like every turn you're copying your five mana spell or something like that, or five plus mana spell. Like good for you, you know. Like you're making it happen. But like this is just not a spell that most decks can make use of in like a meaningful way, you know. Like it, it's it's very particular, and I think one of the reasons that Double Vision has like the numbers that do, and and as a comparison, like I know it also has the initiative, and that sours people too. But Tomb of Horrors Adventures only is in eight thousand decks on EDH Rec, um, and like Double Vision is not really. Well, I guess that, that that one is doing a lot better, but it is like a lot easier to use. It doesn't have the initiative tied to it. Um, so maybe this will see a little bit more play than Team of Horrors Adventure, but like it's just not generically good in the way that like Double Vision is if you're just going to be casting instants and sorceries. I think the thing it has going for it is that it is any spell, like whatever your second spell is, but... I wouldn't warp a deck to make this work. I would just put this in a deck that can do that often. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's where I'm at with it. I think it's a really cool card. And I think if you're excited about it, you probably know where you're putting it. So if you're mm-hmm. listening to this and Storm of Saruman sounds fun, that's probably because you know 
exactly what you're going to do with it, which is exactly what I would recommend for a card like this. Okay, so this next card is uh, our first black card we're going to talk about, and it's actually technically not a black card, but it is a black land, black color identity. This is Baradur. So Baradur is a legendary land. Uh, it, Like the other one, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It has tap, add black, and it also has XX black tap. So two X's and a black mana tap. Amass Orcs X. Activate only if a creature died this turn. So that's like, that's pretty good. There's a few decks that actually might want to run this, and the opportunity cost is pretty low. Um, is there anything you want to say about it? So setting aside uh, Shannon and Kethis, because they will, they would run this even if it didn't have the activated ability. What are your thoughts on the like sack fodder effect? Um, just like kind of being, I mean, sort of like a black uh, care keep, maybe a little bit more expensive, but with the potential to grow even larger. Yeah, I actually like it a decent amount. I could see this in like the really stereotypical black sackless. You're like uh, Bantus, both of them, the God Eternal and the non God Eternal version, the OG. Um, I could see this in like if you have like an Edric Sar list that's usually about sacking things. So Edric Sar is the five drop that when you cast a creature, you get uh, thralls, one one thralls equal to that creature's mana value and then uh if you have seven or more more thralls you have to sacrifice him um those decks in particular tend to sack things uh less hipstery ones might be your like sir conrad's the grim and stuff like that um so i I could see this just being a staple in like mono black or black red in general because like there is it's basically no opportunity cost um and it fits into so many archetypes that these like creatures want you know like uh your yagmoth ran physician is going to be sacking creatures your braids arisen nightmare is going to be sacking creatures you know like your ayara first of lockthwain is going to be sacking creatures your gix like yagmoth predator like well probably won't be sacking creatures but it is a little guy for you to to get so I just feel like this is generic enough that most black decks, especially like black, red, black, green are going to be able to utilize it if they want. Um, so yeah, I think the care keep like comparison is pretty apt there. I think that's a, a really good description of it. If you like care keep in your red decks for tokens or sack fodder or whatever, you'll probably like Baradur. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of that's how I feel about it. I'm I'm pretty excited for a lot of these lands. Yeah, same. Um, uh, but I think we can move on to the next card, and, and I'm happy to read this off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Call of the Ring. It's one and a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, the ring tempts you, and whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life. If you do, draw a card. My first thought was just to look at this as like granting skulk. Um, and there's plenty of decks that are interested just in that base level. Um, so like Virtus and Gorm, like 
making Virtus harder to block for very little mana is pretty nice. Um, Doran is almost impossible to block. Maybe even Yuriko. Um, there's a couple other ones like Frodo, Sauron's Bane, um, Smeagol, Sauron the Dark Lord, those commanders from this set that all care about getting tempted by the ring. They are, of course, going to want this card. Um, I would say if you're not getting Skulk value and if you're not getting ring tempted value, how do you feel about this as just like kind of a Phyrexian arena? Um, that's a great question. Cause I've literally been thinking about this for like the last two weeks or whatever. And I think I have to try it because it's not just like a worse Phyrexian arena because you're like giving pseudo evasion things but in some ways it is or if you just want the card it's worse um and then if you tempt enough you're like looting with the creature that's attacking and then like that i need to see how much value i'd be able to drum up from like these ring temps you triggers because um like the each opponent loses three life like isn't a lot but if you're drawing an extra card or well, drawing two extra cards and discarding one a turn like have a creature that's hard to block and also kills whatever blocks it and then also draining three each turn like that seems like a pretty good card to me but then it takes four turns but then it comes down turn two so like i've been so back and forth on this i i'm higher on it than lower right now um so that's kind of like how I feel about it in general. Um, I, I'm just going to give it a shot in decks that like generally want to attack, you know, like might put it into like Timna and Sengir, my like black white partners list that has a bunch of one drops um, to like help them get in to draw cards with Timna and then also just draw cards from this that like fits pretty well there, reanimation strategy, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, and I, I I feel like a lot of the cards, especially the white cards we talked about today so far, like are pretty like niche. Like they have like a very specific place or deck that might want them. Um, but this is the first card really that we've talked about that I guess Born on a Wind is <laughs> is pretty good in the the counterspell, the white remand, but um this is the first one where I'm like, this might be fine like if this was 2012 this would be a staple you know but like we have a lot of better options now so it's merely a good card um that's kind of how i feel about it so i don't know if you have anything to add or if you want to get into decks that might be good oh i guess you did get into that <laughs> we've yeah. gone through I, it all I, huh? <laughs> I would be hmm, like you know i've gotten a little um less interested in Frexian Arena over the years. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely like a worse version of that if all you care about is the card. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm mostly just going to pack this in the decks that like actively care about the, you know, the effects of the ring bearer or getting tempted by the ring. Mm-hmm. But it's not a bad card. And I, th- I think that I would be curious to see what people's, um, what people's like, experiences are testing with it and it's possible that like 
the the skulk thing mode has broader applications than even we talked about because like well you know in like a maybe in like an Ashnod deck the one drop one where you're like always attacking with her every turn and she's got one power like uh, it could be something i'm not sure yeah no i i feel the same way there's a lot more decks than like i think people realize that have like a pretty low power commander that can like get value especially if like you can get in safely and you're looting once a turn you know like that's that's pretty good so if you're drawing a card and looting every turn i feel like that's where it starts to get like pretty pretty good you know you're you're attacking in the Eureka, like you mentioned or anawan the ruin thief or uh i don't know who else has Le- runo stormkirk or something you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so um like looting cards for your your reanimation and stuff so that that's kind of where i'm at with it um but yeah i think we've talked enough about this i if you like this card let us know um but we got to keep on moving because this next card is one of the spiciest cards it's the one of the most amount of discourse in the set it's like number two or three yeah there's a couple of black cards that are drawing a lot of attention from high Mm. places um but I can read off this next one. It is yeah. Mirkwood Bats. Three and a black for a 2-3 creature bat with flying. Whenever you sacrifice, or sorry, whenever you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses one life. So uh, notably pretty good with treasure. It's also not terrible if you're just doing like, I don't know, Ophiomancer, Sack Outlet type things. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Just Even just making lots of token dudes. Um, it's a win condition for like Tesa 1.0 decks this does a lot there's a lot that this does um what do you think about Merkwood bats so if this remains legal for another week i'm gonna no i'm kidding uh <laughs> i think this is great i'm gonna put this in my like strephon like mara progenitor deck so like the blood man um i think this is good in pretty much any like token makey black deck so obviously treasures are the best because they give you the sack outlet on top of everything and i I mentioned endrixar earlier but like i know that's like a hipster (laughs) like hipster one but definitely a card that can use that if you are sacking things and you're getting like a ton of thralls um but even in like i don't know like alayla decks and stuff where you're getting fairies and things this seems like it's going to do a pretty decent chunk of damage. So I, I do think this is probably going to be a staple in like black, like really big token decks, like decks that make like a lot of tokens. Uh, it does just so happen that treasures are pretty easy <laughs> to do that with, but um, I I don't think it's going to break the form. I don't think I'm going to stop playing commander because this deck exists or like my like friends Marnius Calgar list has a Morgul bats in it or Mirkwood bats, you know, like that seems ridiculous, but it seems strong. So if you have the right deck for this, uh, you probably are going to deal like 20 or so damage. <laughs> it's my guess. 
Yeah, I definitely am excited to put this in my Barakos party leader and guild oh, artisan yeah. treasure oh, deck. Yeah. Um yeah, I I don't think it's ban worthy. I mean, we already have win conditions for treasure decks. Like it's hard to beat Marionette Master. Um so and of course, like, you know, Revel and Riches, other similar cards. Um, I think it's just good that those decks get another win condition, but I don't think like because there are multiple options for win conditions, I don't think that's really the problem. It's kind of just like if you allowed the treasure deck to get 10 plus treasures, mm-hmm. um, maybe the problems upstream is what I'm suggesting here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like most, especially in black, like other than um, what is it? The revel and riches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's most of the treasure production is, is capped or is like fairly fair. You know, you're like grim hireling is uh damage to a player. So like you can only get so many treasure in a turn with that, you know, you're uh Kalein reclusive painter decks, your life insurance, you know, like most of these things have uh like hard caps on like when or how much treasure you can generate. Um so yeah, I'm not scared. <laughs> I think this is just gonna be fun. I think this is gonna be just another removal magnet and we have a lot of those already in the format so one more mm-hmm. doesn't really change much in my estimation you know you're uh probably already we're targeting something of your opponents it's gonna be this instead of whatever it was before you know yep um so can i read off this next one yes please so this one is simple it's nazgul Nazgul is a three mana one two Wraith Knight with Death Touch. And when Nazgul enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Uh, whenever the ring tempts you, put a plus one plus one counter on each Wraith you control, and a deck can have up to nine cards named Nazgul. So Nazgul, um, it, it has that like uh, seven dwarves, like Relentless Rats kind of feel to it where you can have a bunch of them in the deck and thankfully like these work as intended <laughs> by wizards these days so you don't have to have the the uniqueness rule or whatever that was from back in the day uh kind of stab you in the back <laughs> when you want to make a funny <laughs> deck so yeah how do you feel about this i am a big fan of this card and i hope we see more cards like it in the future um basically this just like doubles the amount of ring tempting available to the decks that care about it most um just being able to like have nine extra cards in your deck that tempt you for a decent rate um is a really big deal for smeagol and sauron the dark lord and the black white frodo um so i'm I think that like if this card did not exist or didn't allow you to have nine copies, it would be way, way, way harder for those decks to do their thing because they're pulling from just like a narrow mechanic and a single set. And I would love to see just like any time that happens in the future where you they are printing like some new commander that cares about the new set mechanic, but there's just not enough cards with that mechanic for the deck to care about it uh i I would just love to see 
something like this. Oh, you can run nine copies of it and all of it and all of them do set mechanic things. Um, I think that's really sweet. And I think it's like a more elegant solution than like trying to broaden it. Like, you know, Corvold, maybe they didn't, they thought, oh, we can't get enough food cards together. So we'll just make it sacrifice anything. And well, it didn't work out so well. Um, but, you know, if they had just had that technology of like, we're going to print this one decent food card, but make it so that you can run 10 of them in your deck. Uh, maybe that would have allowed for a design that was more food focused way back when. Anyway, uh, I think it's a really cool card. One last question about this card uh, or one point I want to make and then maybe a question. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So. Uh, what's notable is that if you have multiple Nazgul, the triggers stack. So if you have a Nazgul and then you play a new one, you get the new one uh, makes the ring tempt you. And then both of them trigger to put a plus one plus one counter on a, each Wraith you control. So you get two plus one plus one counters on each guy. Um, so these work really, really well in multiples. Um, unfortunately, we, I mean, it's worth noting that it is a tribal ability, like it puts them on wraiths. Uh, we don't really have a wraith commander. There's like Lord of the Nazgul, which we'll talk about more in our episode on the uh, Lord of the Rings precons. But I kind of think that's like fake tribal, and we'll talk. More. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to the next card. Um, do you want to read this one off? Sure. So this is a black saga so this is a rare in the set it is one ring to rule them all so chapter one oh first off it's a uh, four mana enchantment saga so it costs two black black the first chapter the ring tempts you then each player mills cards equal to your ring bearer's power the second chapter destroy all non-legendary creatures the third chapter is each opponent loses one life for each creature card in that player's graveyard and that's it. <laughs> Just three chapters. So you tempt slash mill, destroy the non-legends, and everyone loses life. Everyone else loses life. Um, and then this is just as a reminder. So the one ring to rule them all, like tempting with the ring, makes the the ring bearer legendary. So if you wanted to save like a card that's not your commander, you can tempt like choose that creature as your ring bearer, and then it doesn't get blown up by chapter two. So. Uh, all of that said, how do you feel about this card? Where what are you thinking about it? Um, I think it's pretty sweet. It it structurally it looks a lot like Phyrexian scriptures. Oh um, yeah, that's actually really that true. <laughs> yeah, and that it's like designate something as uh, or like give something a characteristic that means it doesn't get blown up by chapter two, blow everything up, and then do something to graveyards. Um, so I like this card. Um, it's worth I mean you probably you probably just play this in like the ring bearer decks or the the tempted by the ring decks. Uh, it's also really good in Glissa Sunslayer. So Glissa Sunslayer is the black white commander from uh, Phyrexia All Be One. And she has a combat damage trigger that's three options, but one of them is remove up to three counters from target permanent. So you can just keep uh refreshing your saga and constantly like yeah, mill your opponents, I guess, but also like destroy non-legendary creatures every other turn. Um, that seems great. Uh, I think 
I mean, you'd probably run it in Tom Bombadil as well. It won't kill him. It's a decent way to control the board. He doesn't run that many creatures. So it's like you're already kind of breaking symmetry on it. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a cool card. I like sagas that blow things up. It seems powerful. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I think this is really cool. The Glissa is a cool one because like, what else are you doing with her like it's she's kind of like a funny saga deck in some ways but well there's also i guess uh another black enchantress commander kind of coming at we'll talk about that later that we yeah I oh, think we both one have last opinions. hold on i want to how to do like a search really quick yep. um i feel like we're getting closer to a critical mass of just sagas that like really mess up the board and oh sure yeah as we get closer, Hall of Heliod's generosity just gains value. And it could be, you know, we could be approaching a point where it's just like a package you can put in your deck of like, um, you know, I blow up the world maybe once every three turns and then I just regrow it and keep doing that. And it's just another way to oppress people who are foolish enough to run creatures. So it seems pretty fun. Yeah, you know what, that actually like seems like a fun... Well, I guess uh, it's green. It's a uh, green-blue, but the Tatsunari Toad Rider, I was like, this seems like it'd be fun there. I'm trying to think of like another one that would be... Maybe Merkel, Lord of Bones, something like that, that like ends up playing a lot of like enchantment synergies and stuff. Mm. But uh, I'll think about that. Well, the, well there's going to be a new enchantment pre-con in um, Black White green oh yeah coming up so could could see something in there um but anyway speaking of uh oppressing people who foolishly <laughs> commit creatures to the board uh, let me read off this next card this is orcish bowmasters it's one in a black for a one one creature orc archer it has flash and when it enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target, then amass Orcs one. So uh, the rate on this card is incredible. Um, so, wow, it does, this, this does a lot of things. It's really, <laughs> really good at just sniping small utility creatures like Mana Dorks will not survive with the Bowmasters around. Um, it's also very good at generating uh, sack fodder, like just you can just keep amassing orcs sacrificing them to anything uh, attrition is of course my sack outlet of choice but you know whatever um and every time you amass it'll just refresh the token um also very very good if you have like wheel effects so in like nekusar or something um this is going to trigger a lot of times and you are going to get to kind of just like row down the whole board um it's also very good if you have ways of like making your pings lethal so there's a couple commanders that do it like zagres gives your guys um death touch or Harobi kills anything that gets targeted um and then there's some random commanders that just like run death touch equipment because they're commander pings or something and so this is kind of like a freebie in there Although it's kind of a freebie anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, we kind of outlined like the the more unfair things 
you can do with this but what do you think in terms of like fair magic not forcing people to draw um how often do you think this is going to trigger in an average commander game yeah i mean i think if you're like not being rude with this card then it's going to trigger like sometimes you know like you're going to be able to ping a few things of like small to modest size throughout the game um you're gonna amass orcs and have like you know like a four four or a five five if you're playing with like a blue player or a green player i guess (laughs) these days you're gonna have like maybe a bigger creature but it's like in regular fair magic this is simply like a decent card (laughs) in my opinion like it, it's two mana gives you one one and it pings something and then like they have to do stuff so like if you're not trying then it's like an incredibly it's like powerful still like you know two bodies like killing something and has flash you can gotcha them but it's just like just a card so like yes you can like really gotcha people yes you can wheel but like i would rather like cast a wheel of fortune and have someone flash in orcish bowmasters than like a narset you know <laughs> like i would mm-hmm. i would much rather and like a that, notion thief exactly like that that's so much worse for me than this guy like oh no you killed my commander <laughs> oops so uh, how could you i guess i'll play it again <laughs> like the <laughs> The outrage over this card just seems to be wild because I I would say that this is probably the card that has the most people talking. Um, it was mm-hmm. specifically uh, this and the bats were specifically called out in like the RC announcement for like the banned and restricted um, update for when the set launches because there's one when most sets launch. Um, yeah, and it, they didn't ban it. So if you're listening, you probably know that, but they did not ban it. They just were like, "Hey, we're looking at these," and it's like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, a big difference between what this card does and what like a whole breacher or a notion thief does. So, like, oh, yeah. First off, I'm not preventing anyone from drawing. Like, that's the most messed up part about like Narset or whole breacher or any of those mm-hmm. other cards. Um, this is and it's mostly limited to just like what's on the board. So, yeah, I'm going to probably kill every relevant creature. Um, but that's kind of it like it it's like creatures die a lot in commander anyway it's not hugely messed up like i can't necessarily win from that position yeah um, and yeah i can ping opponents directly with it but mm, even with a wheel it's not i mean like it's 21 damage to divide up that's pretty good I might yeah. kill one person, but it's not the same thing as like you have all have empty hands and I have <laughs> infinite mana or you all have empty hands and I just drew 30 cards. Yeah. Like messing around with life totals and me- messing around with like board state. Um, not nearly as scary to me as huge um, like has like huge disparities in like the fundamental resources of the game anyway yeah no i i feel the same way i think that's really important for people to realize like it's 
It's twenty. It's twenty-one damage. You know that is strong, but that's a yeah. two-card combo. There's yeah. other two-card combos in Magic <laughs> that do more. So yeah, and you you will get a big guy, and maybe you can get him with that. But that's also like answerable by removal, and they will still have a full grip of cards. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it it's whatever. So. Now that we know it's whatever, <laughs> now that we've decidedly finished that debate, um, do you want to move on to our last black card for the day? Sure. Um, this is Shadow of the Enemy. It's three black, 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 so six mana for a sorcery. Exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard. You may cast spells from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and mana of any type can be spent to cast them. So... Um, this is, we haven't like quite seen a card like this before. Um, and I love that it has just the, the flexibility of hitting, you know, your opponent's graveyard or your own. I think there are situations where you target yourself. Um, and like, so far, I, I managed to play a little bit of this uh, just on Arena so far. And of the two times I cast it, one was it against one I targeted an opponent, one I targeted myself. Um, so, like, that flexibility is really useful. I think that in a mill deck, it seems fantastic. It's, of course, like good graveyard hate against the unfair reanimator type decks. Um, it's there's like prosper synergies if you're prosper like you know playing prosper just doing a lot of removal against your opponent's guys and then you want to steal them all and get a bunch of treasure while you're at it um yeah seems like a pretty fun fair magic card um i don't think it's busted but it seems like good value for a certain subset of decks yeah no i, I feel the same way like if you're um if you're not trying to combo with the what's that that Demir creature that is as big as opponent's graveyards and then oh consuming them. aberration yeah consuming aberration like if if you're just like casually running one of those there's decks that I've had that like like having a big guy or like having mill like I know it shrinks him but like that's probably fine if you're not gonna just try and one shot with it like stuff like that like if you're milling in general you're probably going to have a good target with this card. And I enjoy that. I think this is great. So, um, yeah, I really don't think there's too much more to say. Do you want to move on to the red cards? Yes. Uh, so our first red card is Display of Power. It's one red red for an instant. This spell can't be copied. Copy any number of target instant and or sorcery spells. You may choose new targets for the copies. So it seems like it could potentially be very good if you are like building a big stack of spells, but I don't know. How how do you think, how often do you like see that happen in commander or like is what what do you think about this card? Yeah, I actually really like this card. I I love cards like this unsurprisingly as like a red player. Um, It, it really like the name says it all like, you're not really going to get to display your power that often, but when you do, it's going to be pretty impressive. I do like when we saw it on, um, 
I can't remember the double card, double C double or whatever in, um, was that mom? Which that was that? That was mom, right? With a copy a creature, copy a spell. This can't be copied. Oh yeah. I think that was um, mom. Yeah. So that spell, like that was the first time they really used this like line of text that the spell can't be copied. And I was kind of upset at it, but like if they keep giving us stuff like this, then I'm fine with it. <laughs> Cause this seems really fun. Like if you are playing a storm deck, if you're playing um, just like big instants and sorceries deck, if you are like going off with like a Mizix's mastery or something like that, like this seems awesome. <laughs> like this seems super fun. Um, and that's kind of where I have it. I don't think it's particularly good. Like you probably could run like a comet storm and it would do the same function as like display of power most of the time, you know, like it's, it's basically just the win con most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll point out that, um, bonus round also costs the same amount of mana and, you know, pretty much, I mean, yeah, it copies your opponent's spells too, but it also just like plays much more nicely with like, you know, I cast a spell, I let it resolve. I cast something new or just like combos that involve mm-hmm. playing like multiple spells, but letting them resolve in the process. Um, yeah. I, I've played a lot with bonus round and uh, I think someone has cast an instant maybe like twice and I've, I've cast that spell a, at least a dozen times at this point <laughs> in, in my like career. Like uh, one time they just killed some creatures and uh, one time they countered my spell and mm. That was, but it was two spells, and that was pretty much it. You know, it was like <laughs> it was fine. So play bonus round more. That's basically what you should take away from this. But I do like this. I think it's fun. Uh, I don't think it's particularly crazy strong, but that's I probably I don't know how many times I'm going to say that this episode. <laughs> so we yep. should probably move on. Okay. Uh, next is fiery inscription. It's two and a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Fiery Inscription deals two damage to each opponent. Uh, does this card remind you of anything? Um, I I mean, I blinked and I saw a goblin in the art for a second, but it, that can't be right because there's like a glowing ring or something. Am I am I missing something? <laughs> no, yeah, Gutter Snipe. Yeah, Gutter Snipe is in seventy eight thousand decks on EDH rec. It's <laughs> A relatively efficient way to uh, turn lots of spells into lots of dead opponents. <laughs> um, fire inscription. Uh, I think, I mean, the ring part just seems like flavor text. This is really just like a less vulnerable gutter snipe. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's fair to say this is just like mostly better. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I have cut gutter snipe from decks because it's just like a removal magnet. Like, not that this won't be, but it's just so much more difficult to hit mm-hmm. than a two toughness creature <laughs> like like that just you know like a stiff wind will knock over a gutter snipe but you really got to be intentional to kill your uh, fiery inscription so i'm into it i like it um and you get a free tempt you know free sculpt creature that's fun for sure. the deal um not? so yeah why not um uh, you want to read off the next one yeah absolutely um, so this one is Hugh the Entwood. So this is a five mana red sorcery, costs three red red, and Hugh the Entwood says, sacrifice any number of lands, 
Uh, reveal the top X cards of your library where X is the number of lands sacrificed this way. Choose any number of artifact and or land cards revealed this way. Put all non-land cards chosen this way onto the battlefield. Then put all land cards chosen this way onto the battlefield tapped. Then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, do you, do you feel like this is an adequate uh, reward for sacrificing X lands? Uh, I would say if your deck like approaches a 100% hit rate on the flip, then I would maybe consider it. Like if I'm running Duretti or Karkesh and it's just all artifacts and lands pretty much, um, then I would maybe consider it. But like, you know, that's such a steep cost. Um, and like every whiff is so, so painful. Yeah. <laughs> Can you think of like another deck that maybe, and the thing is like, this is also not something I would want to run in just like broader color identities. Like, you know, yeah. blue red has got to be, it's got to have something more powerful to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so like really I'm thinking about like mono red artifacts and I, cause I, you wouldn't run this in like four color artifacts. That's just insane. That, yeah, I would run this in like a jury, you know, like master of the review, um that was something i was thinking about like because whenever you sacrifice a permanent yeah whenever you sack a permanent you put a counter on him when jury dies you deal damage to something equal to his power um so those decks typically are like playing like treasure a lot of permanence a lot of sack fodder um and like getting a bunch of value off that seems like pretty good um that was that was pretty much the only one i can like think of that actively wants it like maybe um but like in that situation what what do you oh, think your you know hit what? rate is in jury uh that's a good question i mean i guess it would depend on the thing I, the other one that like literally as i was uh scry falling is probably wart boggart auntie that one actually you could potentially win the game it but i guess you probably have a pretty low land count in that deck but you definitely have a pretty low spell count in that deck so like black red gobos you mean yeah that's probably like you hit like a lord or three and no no like, but uh you don't get creatures off this it's only oh, artifacts and lands i've been thinking about this really it's only artifacts and lands yeah that's why i'm like oh. Duretti, kirkesh and that's it <laughs> yeah okay okay you know Maybe so. <laughs> I've been th- literally, I've been thinking about this card for a while because I was, I, I am still probably going to put this in my Kirkesh list. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I do have to think about this again. I'm also not going to edit yeah, this out because this is, this, a, is, this is not a warp world, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was even thinking like, like a Kethic, like there's some like Rakdos, like sack decks, but that's, it's even more narrow than i could imagine <laughs> um oh maybe like a i don't know a joyra the weatherlight captain she's more of a combo deck right like that's, yeah that's you probably yeah, don't want to just deck. sack like eight lands and get random zero drops <laughs> it's, and, probably... and it's also like i don't want to have to cut a zero drop to run a 
five mana guy yeah yeah unless it's like insane unless it's like paradoxical outcome or something oh you know what really new so i forgot about her it's maria scholar of antiquity that one might do it because you're not a lot of artifacts yeah, so Mara, Maria is the three mana three three. The one where all your green. artifacts are lands anyway. Mm. Yeah, your non token artifacts tap for green. You can tap two uh, untap non token artifacts to exile the top card of your library and play it this turn. Um, that one might be the one because you're going to ramp because you're green, and then when you don't want your lands, you turn them into stuff. So that that might be it. That might be okay. the one. All right. Uh, all right. We we solved it. We cracked it. All right. Congrats, everyone. All right. Um, so pick up your Hugh the Entwoods before everyone catches on to the, the hot <laughs> fire. Um, anyway, do you want to move on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, next card is Mines of Moria. It's a legendary land and is battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. Taps for red and has three and a red tap. Exile three cards from your graveyard. Create two treasure tokens. Um. I'm I'm throwing this into Shannon, but Boom. I don't. How do you feel about the rate on treasure production here? It's pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I'm not really liking it. I would put this in like a Jan Jansen or something, though. You know, or like a deck that's running like uh, Audacious Reshapers, like something mm-hmm. like that. That's probably fine. But um, it's not. I'm probably not going to activate this that often. It's my guess. But yeah. I will it. You know, I'm gonna play as many as I can pick up. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh yeah, this feels like in terms okay, really quick. Uh-huh. Uh in terms of just like broad utility, um, how would you rank the five legendary lands, five monocolor legendary lands in Lord of the Rings? Like in terms of like from most important to just put in your random mono X decks versus least important. Um, and we didn't really talk about Rivendale either. I don't think. Right. Did we, did yeah. We? Cause there, it doesn't like, there's not really a legendary matters commander. That's blue. That is true. Um, I guess like the most important one I would play would just be the white one. Right. Like, just drawing a card yeah it's probably the easiest booby prize that's yeah, probably like, my guess it's uh tied for like cheapest one to activate and it gives you the best thing yeah um, compared to like <laughs> compared to the the shire i guess like <laughs> um I would say very few decks want to. Fo- we'll talk about that later, but yeah, mine's is pretty low on that. Li- I well, actually, honestly, like Rivendell is probably pretty low. I, I don't mind Rivendell too yeah. much because it is really cheap. Um, yeah, compared to other Scry on lands, that, that's true. Because I thought I was going to use um, what's the blue castle from? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, but it's just four mana to Scry two is just like way too much. I was like. Yeah, you know, if I have mana open, but the decks where I have mana open, I have like instants or activated abilities because like I built my deck appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> so, but with Rivendell, it's actually reasonable to be like, I'm going to hold up, you know, a piece of interaction. And th- so that's like Rivendell and two lands. And then if I don't do the thing, then I'll just activate Rivendell. That seems not so bad. Yeah, that seems pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, mine's is 
like I said, like it's probably not super high on that list, but three, oh, well, I guess two treasures. Sorry. I was thinking about it even higher than it is. <laughs> um, that's fine. I'm probably going to use that sometimes. Okay. Like, just get completely screwed. Be like, eh, two treasure. Yeah. So, probably the low. Well, no, I still think the Shire is probably less useful. <laughs> yeah. Cause nobody, like, nobody wants that. Yeah. Effect. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much there with you. I really like Rivendell and Minas Tirith. Um, Baradur, I think, is fine if you have ways to convert guys into cards. And then yeah. the other two, I'm just extremely low on. Yep. Well, with that said, because uh, we are going to come back to, well, I actually don't, I don't think we're talking about the Shire, right? We're not. Yeah, we're, we're going to skip, let's, let's skip the Shire. You already yeah, know well, our thoughts. So it's not good. Just, just to read it off so everyone knows it's not good. It's a uh, legendary land. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It taps for green and it has one green tap. Tap an untapped creature you control, colon, create a food token. So that is part of the cost is to tap an untapped creature you control. Um, but do I want to do that? I don't think so most of the time. Um, and with that said, let's uh, keep on moving. Do you want to read off this next one? <laughs> sure. Uh, this next one is Moria Marauder. It's red, red for a 1-1 creature goblin warrior with double strike. Whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. This is great. I mean, you don't have to think about like where to put this. <laughs> it's just like clearly very good for the goblin decks. Um, it also just like draws two cards a turn by itself. Like I yeah. would consider running this in like Prosper or something. Um, yeah, yeah it's just a very good card yeah that, that was pretty much what i was gonna say too i'm still running the um prophetic flame speaker in my like faldorn list because it's like oh it turns out like drawing two cards is still fine like mm. if you can do it over and over again and it's on a creature it's it's great so this guy's great i love him and uh i'm gonna read off this next one uh go for it so this one is rally at the hornberg this is a red source. Uh-huh. Well, actually, let me ask you one more thing about Moria Marauder before we move on. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So everyone knows that the 40K precons were super successful, correct? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so it's likely they're going to do something like that again, probably. I'm hoping. Uh, so what would be like the next most obvious choice of race to choose when oh. we return to 40K? Are you leading me to... to- talk about my favorite warhammer 40,000 race like army <laughs> yes <laughs> which would be uh the orcs the coolest ones <laughs> uh, yeah I, I i'm wondering if this is like a seed um hopefully like, honestly that would be wonderful i would i was really i i thought the secret layers would have more orc stuff then they ended up having i was like okay yeah. well we didn't get a deck so they'll surely they'll throw me a bone and uh they nope. they did not yeah didn't do that okay so i mean i guess i get that it works with the mass orcs but like i don't know maybe they were thinking ahead here i'm hoping i'm i i will give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> okay uh back to the one you're reading please sorry yes. for interrupting no 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 it's good um so yeah you already know the card uh, guess at home it's Rally at the Hornberg. 
So this is a red sorcery. It costs two mana, one and a red. Uh, and it has a pretty uh, simple line of text. It says, create two one one white human soldier creature tokens. Humans you control gain haste until end of turn. Um, so if you don't care about goblins, this is probably better than dragon fodder. You know, uh, if I, I played, well, I have been playing um, the, what is it? The forbidden friendship. Is that the one where you get the dinosaur yes. and the guy? Yeah, where you um, have one hasty guy and one human. Yeah, and that's so good. It's like mm-hmm. so much better than Krenko's Command if you don't care about the goblins. And this is even better than that. <laughs> 50% better, one might say. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, this is a, a sweet card. Um, also, you'll probably just get random like splash, splash value of like, maybe you'll have another human on the board. Um, and there's like, one or two human tribal commanders in this set or like across the main set and the precons. So has like extra value there. It's just like sweet card, simple, good, and happy to see it. Yep, exactly. So all that said, do you want to get on to the, uh, the next red card? Yes. Uh, so next card is rising of the day. It is two and a red for an enchantment creatures. You control have haste legendary creatures. You control get plus one plus O. Oh. Uh, so Fervor is in 29,000 decks on EDH rec. This is strictly better. Um, and I, I thought it was nice. It, it looked particularly good in Hakdos uh, since it curves into him and reduces his clock to three hits. So Hakdos, you know, is four cost commander, uh, randomly has protection from everything except two, three, or four, and he's a six one. So making it so that you go like rising of the day, turn three Hakdos turn four, you swing, you hit for seven. Um, you're already a third of the way to killing someone on turn four. So that could be a, an especially good use for it. Um, if the enchantment itself was legendary, like flowering the white tree, then I'd be higher on it in like other legendary matters decks like Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I I think it's fine to just like swap your fervor for this uh or add it if you need the redundancy. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um so there's uh the not too many things I feel like if you really want if you're running like a Hajar loyal bodyguard list, the uh gruel three drop for two that oh, like does stuff that, that was one of them and then the Mary Esquire of Rohan uh, which is in this set, which uh, we talked about last time. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a oh, did we talk about it last time? Uh, I think I we might. Have, I think we did. Right? We, oh, we probably did skip it actually because it is kind of boring. It's basically it's a two-two haste for red and white. Uh, has first strike as long as it's equipped, and when you attack with Mary and another legend, you draw a card. So you're going to be running legend party in there, maybe like a Joda the Unifier or something because it gives all your legends sure. haste or. Yeah, whatever. And he makes a big. That could be something. Some big. There's probably something there. There's like very niche cases, but also not because it's just fervor. <laughs> yeah, like you. It's probably probably fine. Um. So, do you mind if I move on? Go for it. So this next one is uh a red enchantment. It's called spiteful bound. Uh, sorry. It's called spiteful banditry. So it costs X red red for for an enchantment. Remember. It's an enchantment. 
When spiteful banditry enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to each creature. And whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Um, wow. <laughs> what? Like, that's, that's pretty good. You know, like, I will run, like, earthquake, star storm effects, you know, pretty often. Uh, and this one sticks around to give me treasure. That's pretty all right. I'm into that. Yeah, I, hmm, I, I like this card a lot. It is tough to find places to fit just like X, like red damage spells that aren't instants and sorceries because they don't, um, you know, it doesn't work with like fire song and sun speaker. Um, it's not something you can easily like copy. It doesn't hit players, so it's not a potential win condition. I, I do like that it's a pretty decent. Um, I mean, it's a it's a fair board wipe in red that gets additional value over the long term. That seems great, um, but it's hard to think of just decks that are into this. Like, do you run this in hmm, like? Red is not great at killing things repeatedly because it doesn't have good spot removal and there's not commanders like um, that just kind of subsidize kill spells the way that there are for some other colors. Mm. It's um, really funny that you're saying that because the, the card that immediately like came to mind with, to me with this card is Daryl Hunter of Walkers. Oh, That was the... Okay. That was the card that I thought of first, because so Daryl Hunter of Walkers is the uh, Gruul legend from the um, (laughs) the infamous Walking Dead secret lair. Um, It's a four four for four. At the beginning of your upkeep, target opponent creates three Walker tokens, which are just two two black zombies. Um, And Daryl has tap. Daryl deals two damage to target creature, Uh, and also whenever a zombie an opponent controls dies, draw a card. So if you can kind of like keep the zombies away and cast this for like less than four you get a treasure draw a million cards and like the game keeps going that that was like the first thing i thought about when i saw this card but there i feel like there's a lot you can do with it in general you had a really good one did you talk about that one already i don't think you not did, yet right? so i was thinking like um brea ethereum shaper might be something um, so she has the ability, uh, you can pay two and sacrifice two artifacts. They give something minus four, minus four until end of turn. So this kind of like subsidizes that ability. I mean, it's not an artifact, so it's like, could be tricky to fit into that list, but you know, you sack two artifacts, kill something, get a treasure token. So you're halfway to doing it again. Um, so there could be something there. Um, also just like it makes artifact sack fodder for things that care about it um hmm not sure what else i would do with this card it looks it looks good uh it's might be tough to find places in the format that are looking for this exact effect i think it honestly i feel like it's it's 
just generically powerful enough that people will probably run it and it'll do like a decent amount of work because like there there's so many things these days that like kind of want a wrath and kind of want like the treasure like that or like killing an a thing of an opponent's every turn is just something that they do like a, a lucius the eternal you know kelsey and the plague like th- there's enough commanders that i think you get um incidental value off of this enough that like it's probably fine and the fact that it's once a turn means that if you can do the cool thing it's like two or more mana so it's like a wipe and then maybe more treasure turn so i think the floor on it is low enough that i'm gonna try running it in just like red deck you know red x deck but i I don't know if that's how you feel about it do you feel like you need well here's a here's a point of comparison maybe um so gadrak the crown scourge is like kind of similar um it's two and a red for a five four flyer can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts uh, at the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each non-creature token, or sorry, for each non-token creature that died this turn. Um, so kind of a way to turn dead guys into um, into treasure. There's also like Mahadi Emporium Master, which kind of does the same thing. Um, so those cards see a lot of play. Gadrak is in 25,000 decks on EDH rec, so maybe just like the base mode is better than I'm giving it credit for. I think you're right that this probably demands like another color. I think this wants to just be like in black red, something that has access to better removal so you can trigger it more repeatedly. Yeah, like that that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting. Like if you can repeatedly get the treasure, especially on like multiple turns then I'm I'm like actually pretty into that. Um but yeah. No, okay. Yeah. I guess I've come it sounds like you've come up on it and I've come down on it <laughs> over the course of this conversation. Um so that's probably the appropriate place to be with this card. <laughs> um, All right. Well speaking yeah. of treasure tokens, uh do you want to read off the next card? Oh, absolutely. So this is um, a contender for one of my favorite cards in the whole set. This is There and Back Again. It's an enchantment saga. It's red and costs five mana, three red red. Uh, Chapter one uh, of three. So the first chapter is up to one target creature can't block for as long as you control There and Back Again. The ring tempts you. Chapter two is search your library for a mountain card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. And then chapter three is create Smog, a legendary 6-6 red dragon creature token with flying, haste, and when this creature dies, create 14 treasure tokens. So that's a decent chunk for five mana, you know? <laughs> I feel like that's, you're getting something out of that. Like, all the honestly, chapter two kind of surprised me. Um, like, it's very flavorful for the card, right? Like, you're on this journey yeah, you find a mountain. Not fully within red's creature or color pie. Yeah. <laughs> but um I'm into that. That's cool. And then just a six six that explodes into fourteen <laughs> treasures. It's pretty good. 
Um, yeah, how do you how do you feel about this? Um, I am not in love with sagas that like don't have read ahead and that put all of the value kind of at the back end of the card. Um, so I think that like the first ability is kind of a nothing. And even if you're like building around the ring tempting you, there's enough ways to do it for like three mana that I don't think you're super hyped to pay five for the effect. Um, so don't love the blocking prevention. Not crazy about the being tempted by the ring here, or at least at this rate. Um, one lonely mountain is not super exciting either. And then, like, getting a 6-6 dragon with flying in haste, um, that's okay uh, for five mana. It's it's not great when it comes with suspend, too. And then, <laughs> the, I mean, obviously, like, the death trigger is amazing, but you have to have a way to make that happen. It's not, you don't get that kind of for free. Because if I was, you know, your opponent and you had a smaug, I would, I mean, I'm certainly not aiming removal at that thing. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's like more scary than a six six haste flying. Like much, much worse for you. Um, I I tend to like enjoy these. Like I know chapter. Oop, I know chapter one is basically nothing. Um, it does make something just incredibly hard to block. Like you get the the um i was going to say smuggle but that's not what i'm uh uh, uh skulk skulk thank you <laughs> i don't know why i was going to say smuggle um you get the skulk trigger and something can't block so you're pretty much like almost guaranteed that something gets in there i don't really know what deck wants that the search for a mountain every deck wants that. <laughs> you know if you have red in your mana like your color identity you want that and then the 66 obviously is the best part so i don't know how well this will play this is definitely not a card i'm just putting into red decks but i think it's incredibly cool and like the the allure of 14 treasure tokens is enough to make people want to play this which i think is a a flavor win <laughs> from the the card so uh yeah oh, i mean it's super flavorful i don't uh, don't dispute that Oh yeah. No, no. And I never said you did. I never I'm never meant to imply it, you know. But uh we're into green. We're we're uh getting getting there. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty strong ones in green. Um, oh yeah. Let, let's start off with Delighted Halfling. This is a single green mana for a 1/2 creature halfling citizen. It taps for a colorless and it also has tap add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell, and that spell can't be countered. So, I mean, it's a one-drop mana dork, and we haven't seen a new one of those in a while. Uh, And it also has just, I mean, it's certainly not a Birds of Paradise, but it is pretty good at casting your commander early, and it has that added protection against counter spells. So how do you feel about Delighted Halfling? I think this is great. Like, I... I basically... Well, I don't know. I feel like everyone has said it's a new 
staple, but it I just I think it is. It's just another one drop mana producer that's gonna help get your like three drop and four drop commanders out faster. It's gonna make sure they're uncounterable. It, it, I don't know. It's just incredibly good. <laughs> it's it's a card you're gonna see forever, you know? Yeah, I uh agree. I think it's a new format staple. I'm happy that they chose like a very flavor neutral name so that they are able to reprint this. Oh yeah. I'm really hoping that they just go through with that, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a sweet card and I'm, this is going to be one of the ones that I try to pick up from the set. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely something I'll be excited to, uh, open. Um, and actually this next card is too, I actually really like this next card. Um, so this, Next one is Elven Chorus. It's a green enchantment. Costs four mana, three and a green. uh, And it has three very simple lines of text. The first is you may look at the top card of your library at any time. The second is you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. The third is creatures you control have tap. Add one mana of any color. Oh, yeah, those are three things that I love doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I cannot get enough of any of those super into this card. Uh, how do you feel about it? I am also very high on this card. Um, this is just like another great way to make your elf ball or your creature ball kind of decks more consistent. You know, I have put Vizier of the Menagerie in plenty of decks, especially on um, on Arena. So I, I'm already okay with paying four for just like the first two thirds of this card and then i'm a huge huge fan of cryptolith right you've heard me talk about it many times on the show uh so getting that bit for free is very very sweet um i mean it effectively costs much less than four mana assuming you have like any dudes on the board already oh that yeah don't already <laughs> tap for mana um and it's you know, it's an enchantment, so it, I mean, it doesn't trigger, like, your Beast Whisper or your other draw effects the way, like, a Vizier, Vizier of the Menagerie would, but also it's way less fragile. So, um, yeah, I think this is a, an excellent, excellent card. I'm very happy to see it, and this is just, like, going into the suite of effects I always think of when I start thinking about, like, uh, tapping my guys for mana and drawing cards and uh, going card neutral and then mana neutral and whoa like like this is just a very sweet combo piece and value mm-hmm. engine yeah it's that's i think the coolest part is that it can do both <laughs> and it does both very well <laughs> like you really don't need that many sapperlings or elves or goblins before like you're really just ripping through the top of your deck mm-hmm. and that's amazing that's i i really like i i've played with vizier of the menagerie like a decent amount of the time and i played with cryptolithrites or um uh earthcraft in a lot of decks at this point like a lot a lot of decks and both of them have done me very done me good you know over the years so putting them both on this card and it's an enchantment it's like also hard to blow up like i love it we love it so um all of this gushing aside, are you okay if I get on to the next one? Go for it. 
So this is our next green card. Uh, so this is Entish Restoration. This is a green instant. It costs three, so two and a green. And it says, sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. If you control a creature with power four or greater, instead search your library for up to three basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Um, so th- this is wild. Like, I actually did not expect them to print a card like this in this set. Like, everything... For the most part, like as you're listening to this set review, like everything's pretty fair, right? Like mm-hmm. power level is either like specific or it's not yeah, powerful but specific or like generally good but broad and not crazy. Like this one is actually like I don't really see why I would not play this, like in most green decks, especially if I'm guaranteed to have the power for, or like more likely to have the power for a greater. Like, that yeah, just this is, seems like a no brainer. This is a really sweet card. Um, so Roiling Regrowth is the easiest point of comparison. It's pretty much the same up until you get to that, like if that bonus mode. Um, so it is also three mana instant sack of land, search your library for two basic land cards, put them on the battlefield, tap and shuffle. Um, that's in 56,000 decks on EDH rec. And Roiling Regrowth, like, it isn't amazing. Um, like, you're, net, you're going up net one mana. Um, but it is really good at, like, triggering landfall effects. It can fix your mana because it's getting two lands. Um, and it's instant speed, so you can do it if you have nothing better to do, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Entish Restoration just like kicks the crap out of it. Like this is a really easy threshold to get to, especially in green decks. Like how many of the Omnaths are just naturally power four or greater? Yeah. Or just like <laughs> how many random guys? Like we already talk all the time about like Elysian Caryatid or Whisper of the Wilds. Um, they're like power four or greater rewards in green are already really easy to get off. And this is an amazing reward. This is so good. Like, um, triple landfall triggers, really, really good fixing, um, and plus two or net plus two mana for the next turn. It's all great. Uh, this is a, a really sweet card. Like the amount of legends with like four power that costs like four or less is like seventy five. So immediately just in 75 green or more decks you can just run this and have like three like perfect mana basically like that's your jet mirrors you know that's your like jodas that's your like clothes i guess that one doesn't work super well your calamaxes because this is an instant so that's oh man I love that deck. <laughs> that deck's so fun. And so, what's the uh, what's the base power of Calamax, real quick? Yeah, so uh, base power is four. Oh, you know? well, oh yeah. I love to see oh, yeah. it. Love Even see like it. a like a Mina and Den or something like that. You know, like that. All of these things are just immediately better now that this card exists. You know, like that's pretty crazy. That's 
doesn't happen very often in the same way that like we don't normally see a card as ubiquitous as delighted halfling like entish restoration is also a card that you're just gonna see um speaking of cards that you're just gonna see (laughs) um do you want to get into this next also crazy green card uh yes so this is last march of the ents it is six green green for sorcery this spell can't be countered draw cards equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control and put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield uh so okay it seems like they're being more aggressive with like preventing counter spells in this set maybe it's just because we're i mean there's two notable cards out of like the five green cards we're talking we wanted to talk about um i hope that's the case i i think that like it is really deflating when you spend eight mana for your your big beefy thing uh and your opponent spends two mana to answer it that being said i'm a little less worse or a little less worried about getting my last march of the ends countered and um than i am about somebody just like murking my big toughness guy i mean it it is worded in such a way that it doesn't like target the creature. So if, even if they kill your seven toughness guy, it'll just move on to the next thing and you'll draw like four or five cards instead. So the failure case isn't awful. And of course, like even though this is really expensive, you are probably going to make some of that mana back when you're dropping, you know, a whole bunch of creatures from your hand onto the battlefield. So this seems like a pretty fun I mean the 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 thing I always have to say whenever we talk about eight mana green cards is that Crater Hoof costs the same amount and wins the game. But um aside from that obvious note, uh this seems like a a solid reward for like green decks with big guys uh and a very high creature count. Um like let's say Let's say you can like consistently do this for six, which is honestly, which is not even unreasonable. Um, then like maybe 30% creatures in your deck drop two big things. So like kind of make your mana back. Um, okay. Yeah. If I think if your curve is high, you have like 30 ish, 30 plus creatures in your deck. Uh, and they're all like fairly expensive and you got like decent high toughness, then you have my blessing uh, to do this. <laughs> one that's, thing that's I do how wanna, I'm feeling about this card. Yeah. One thing I do want to say is that like, if you do end up drawing that many cards with this, like um, I'm probably going to play this in muscle wizard in my Gale and raised by giants. Just oh, because yeah. like, if you draw 10 cards and then like i'm I'm probably not going to get that many free things but like i probably will win next turn if no Mm -hmm. one stops me so that that is valuable too like um i'm more excited about the like drawing 10 cards in green (laughs) than the the free stuff although maybe i should be excited about the free stuff maybe i'm i'm 
focusing on the wrong thing. Am I thinking about well, drawing think, cards too much? <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, like, most, there's not a ton of, like, huge butt guy, like, notable huge butt guys in green. Um, so I think that, like, if you're ignoring the, the dropping things onto the battlefield part, then it just begs the question of, like, why am I running this over, like, Return of the Wild Speaker or Rishkar's mm. expertise? I mean, Rishkar's expertise also gives you free mana, too. That's true. Um, <laughs> like, you know, assuming your guys are square-statted, as, you know, your 10-10 raised by Giants commander is, then why not just play the thing that costs, like, five mana? Um yeah, and, no, that is the, true. The answer, and the answer to that is because you expect to get a lot of free things off of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, I, I guess like if you're playing like a Karthus Tyrant of Jund or something like that, you know, like or a Hogak or something. I'm not quite sure, sure yeah, like Hogak. what you'd or Shelob. Uh, yeah, that was the other one I was going to say. Shelob's probably a a good one. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm I'm feeling it. I, I see what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, we have one more green card. This is actually a card. I think we talked about it in the Legends review because um, it's very good. But this is in the 99 specifically. But we yes. do want to bring it up because uh, holy cow. So uh, do you want to? Uh, I'll read it off. I'm already here. Uh, so Radagast the Brown is a four mana, two five avatar wizard. Uh, Cost two green green. And then just has a, a big ol' ability. Whenever Radagast the Brown or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top X cards of your library where X is that creature's mana value. You may reveal a creature card that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control from among those cards and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So a four-mana guy that draws you a card uh, and also makes all your other guys presumably draw you a card um if you built your deck correctly where does that look like it goes does anyone else have this restriction (laughs) uh so this is um clearly amazing in volo um i mean there's not there's it's nice that like there's basically no avatars in that deck or like you're not really competing with anything important for avatars you might be competing with something important for wizards but Still, this is just like a fantastic draw engine for that deck because already your creature types are super uh, varied and your creature count is pretty high too. It's like a pretty significant concentration in your deck. So I think it's fantastic there. And I think there's a fair number of decks that kind of just like accidentally fulfill his requirement. Um, It's maybe not decks that like have a lot of mana dorks because those tend to be elves. But if for some reason you're not running a lot of elves, then green creature types are kind of eclectic. Um, You can get away with making your deck like mostly Radagast compliant without even realizing it. I mean, maybe elementals that might be tricky too, but especially like if you're in a broader color identity, if you're not yeah. just mono green, but you're also like, you know, red, green, white, green, a, a two or three color deck. I, that has like a high creature count. I think this could just slot in very naturally. 
I think maybe the biggest barrier to its adoption and I am probably the reason I'm probably not going to be like betting on it too highly when we do the predictions for Lord of the Rings. Um, it's just like a pain in the ass to find out if it's good in your deck. <laughs> yeah, it does take a little bit of work on your part, huh? Yeah, and I think that'll discourage some people. Yeah, but I know like just off the top of my head, I have a few decks that this is just going to be good in. Like, Because mm-hmm. even if you have like three elves in your deck like that's you're probably fine you know what i mean like like even if you have two like birds you know something like that like okay (laughs) like like so your bird can't draw your other bird but it can also draw your your wizard or your stag or your god or you know whatever might be their spider so yeah absolutely uh love this guy Glad to see him as a card. Um, and and we've done it. The monocolor cards are done. We are into multicolor. So do you want to start things off with uh, another legend? Yes. Um, so this is Pippin, Guard of the Citadel. He's white-blue for a 2-2 legendary creature halfling soldier with vigilance and ward 1. And he has tap. Another target creature you control gains protection from the card type from the card type of your choice until end of turn. Um, so this looks a lot like a giver of runes. Um, giver of runes is one mana uh, for one to tap. Another target creature gets protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Um, giver of runes is in 38,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, this is of course one mana more expensive and uh, it has a more narrow color identity, so that's going to limit the decks it can go in. But the tap ability, like because it's worded as card type rather than color, um, it does have some additional utility over Giver of Runes. So for one thing, um, if you give him like pro creatures, then he can't be blocked by anything, whereas Giver of Runes would only... Get, like make it so that your target is unable to be blocked by a certain subset of creatures. Um, and also, like, you know, if for some reason your opponent's casting, like, multiple removal spells, this will save you from several things. Um, so I I think this is just, like, a good way to, like, make your commander unblockable and or protect it from removal in, like, a Voltron deck. That's kind of what I'm thinking about for it. Um it's still cheap. Yeah, it's not one mana cheap, but it's still cheap enough that it'll come down before like most of the Voltron commanders in this color identity. But um, what do you think about this guy? No, I agree. I think like as I said earlier, as we get more like Legends Matters stuff, having legends like this that like do a utility thing, even if it is technically worse than something we already have is going to be more valuable. It's going to like bump it up in certain deck lists. So I'm, I'm really happy to see like a Pippin like this, uh, the fact that it's a two, two vigilance also helps it a lot because you can like, if you're going wide attack with it and it's a soldier, so you might get soldier synergies, you know, word one is basically nothing, but it's not, it's not all the way nothing, but you know, it's basically nothing, but uh, I just, I think it's good. I think for all the reasons you said, um, plus the future of uh, legendary uh, piles, you know, as we get more synergy cards, um, I think Pippin's great. 
So uh, with all that said, I'm I'm going to read off this next one if you're ready. Go for it. So this is Ring Sight. So this is a sorcery. Costs three mana, one blue-black. And it says the ring tempts you. Search your library for a card that shares a color with a legendary creature you control. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So, uh, again, like like the saga from before, like tempting you means you pick a creature that becomes legendary. So, if you don't have a legendary creature, then uh, you do now. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you cast this with a creature on the battlefield. <laughs> Please, please only cast this with a creature on the battlefield. Uh, I think this is a pretty sweet card. Um, as long as your deck like isn't looking to tutor out, say, like artifact combo pieces, um, I think this is going to get you what you want most of the time. Even if you're not doing it on your commander. Um, you know, if you're in like a relatively narrow color identity, like for example, if you're in like, let's say you're just in straight black blue, um, I think black blue decks tend to run more black creatures than blue creatures. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you're like planning to search for black things, as long as you have a fair number of creatures and you're planning to get a black card, this is probably going to do the work you want it to do. Um, so. Another card that, like, if you're building your deck well or, like, you, you you really do the work to figure out what your deck is trying to do, I think this could be very good. And, of course, like, if you are just, like, always planning to have your your commander on the battlefield at all times, that's fine, too. Um, so it'll take a tiny bit of work to figure out if it's good for you, but I expect it to be a strong card. They figured it out a while ago, but like seeing the ways in which like utilizing creatures to make cards work can happen has been fun. Like I feel like they've been pushing it in different directions. So this is uh, a fun way to do that, I feel like. Um, so yeah, super high. Well, not super high. I'm high enough on ringside that I'm going to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, this next one is a land. So this is uh, the only multicolor legendary land in the set. Uh, it's Mount Doom. And I say that meaning like actual new card in the set. There are the mm. like reprints, skins, reskins, you know, whatever. But yes. yeah. Mount Doom is a legendary land that has tap, pay one life, add black or red. One black red tap. Mount Doom deals one damage to each opponent. Which honestly, that's just cute. That's just, that's so funny. And then five <laughs> black red tap. Sacrifice Mount Doom and a legendary artifact choose up to two creatures then destroy the rest activate only as a sorcery um yeah how do you feel about mount doom uh i think this is a very good card in in like a few very narrow decks uh the commander that like really stood out to me was um rakdos lord of riots so he's a uh, black black red red you can't cast him unless an opponent lost life this turn uh, he's got flying and trample. He's a six six, and then creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. Um, so the thing about Rakdos is that he runs like really really expensive guys, and he can get even though he's relatively cheap at four mana, he can get locked in your command zone if you can't 
get over the hurdle of like dealing the one dammy. Um, so just like being able to unlock him in your mana base is really sweet. Um, and also like it's important for that deck to have good colors, like good mana because he's like reducing, it gets to the point where you're dealing enough damage that like all of the colorless costs are just gone from all of your big creatures. And so you need to be able to meet exactly the color requirements of like black, 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 red, red type of stuff. Um, so like Sheevan Gorge, for example, is an old card that like kind of served the same function of like paying three tap and pinging each opponent, but it tapped for colorless. So like you wouldn't ever dilute your mana base in a Rakdos deck to run it. But whereas this card, you know, yeah, sure. You take some pain, whatever. Um, but it doesn't like, it doesn't really hurt you to run this. It's just like a fine land on its own. And then has that added upside of like potentially getting your commander out if he's stuck in in the command zone. Uh, Oh, and there's a whole other ability on the card. I guess I should talk about. (laughs) Um, Okay. uh, So yeah, it also is just like a wrath, um, a one, like a, an asymmetrical wrath. Um, So the requirement of like having a legendary artifact might be a little bit tricky. I was thinking like Shannon, the um, Mardu, like Legends Matter Commander. I've got that deck, and it does run a lot of a relatively high number of legendary artifacts, just because they're easy to cast. They're often cheap, and they uh, get you another. I mean, they just replace themselves when Shannon's out. So I think that could be a good place for this card in. I mean, it's a legendary land, so when you play it, you draw a card off of Shannon anyway, and then it is likely, it's one of the better commanders for actually cracking this thing and, like, saving, I don't know, your Shannon and some other guy and then killing all your opponent's stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a, a very sweet card. Um, can you think of any other, like, red, black X decks that, like... I don't know, either have a lot of legendary artifacts or are interested in the pinging. I I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with most of it. I I don't know. I I like oh, couldn't think of any Oh wait, red... I have one more. Oh yeah, go for it. Uh Obnixilis um Captive Kingpin. Oh. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh cuz he's got whenever one or more opponents each lose exactly one life, you put a plus almost one counter on him and you impulse draw one card. Um, so it'll help you cast your spells and potentially also draw cards. That could be something. Yeah, I was, I mean, initially I had thought that like the, uh, Mishra eminent one, the war form was legendary, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that would have been a pretty easy include, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like this is just going to be something that like people put in and they're like, haha, look, I can pop Mount Doom. <laughs> like, like, oh, or like, uh, what was there? There's a few of the Transformers that probably are like fine with Mount Doom, you know, but um, I'll think about that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's keep on moving. Um, 
This next one is very, very simple and uh, very, very exciting because I don't think we've seen a card this efficient at this mana cost. Uh, It's called Shadow Summoning. Uh, It's a sorcery. It costs white-black, so it has just two mana. Just two mana in that mana cost. It says, create two tapped 1-1 white spirit creature tokens with flying. Boom. Boom. Bam. Done. I'm in. You got me. Yeah, I I think I'm high on this um like i'm not i don't block with my tokens super often and this is just like a very good rate for guys that are hard to block i'm i think i'm happy to run this in any like black white x token list um yeah it's not like crazy impactful for like the value of a card but uh it's efficient and uh i'm into it Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, white, black, spiritless uh, decks that want little flyers or to go wide. Um, yeah, it's just good. It's really efficient, really cool. Um, you hardly ever get like two flyers for two mana. <laughs> I don't really think that happens like ever. Mm-hmm. So very into it. Do you want to read off this next one? Yeah, this is the last multicolor card we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is Flame of Anor. It is one blue red for an instant choose one if you control a wizard as you cast this spell you may choose two instead target player draws two cards or destroy target artifact or flame of anor deals five damage to target creature um so it's a charm and maybe maybe more than that um i think that like as a charm the easiest point of comparison is um oh boy it's one of the one of the dragons like the the grixis dragon's charm um it's like oh, yeah. just destroy target artifact or destroy target non-black creature or bounce something uh and i i think that i've always thought that that was like a fine card i think that this is mostly the comparable there you're destroying an artifact or you're probably killing a creature or you're drawing two cards i think like in charm mode, this is fine. I would be happy to run this in my Is It deck. Um, but if you have a wizard on board, this is just like crazy good value. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think like if you can guarantee you'll always have a wizard on board, you must run this. <laughs> this is really <laughs> freaking good. Uh, what do you think? You're, I think you've played more Is It decks than I have over the years. Yeah, no, I I was going to say the same thing. You'd be surprised how many, like, is it decks just either the commander is a wizard, whether that matters or not, or just have wizards. Like, you know, your Archaeomancer is a wizard, you know, like, like, uh, just wizards just are out there, uh, and they tend to be good, you know? (laughs) Um, so I'm, pretty pretty into this um i would just like ask people to look at their deck just just thumb through it if your red blue x deck isn't like a like doesn't have a a commander that's a wizard like look at other stuff are you running like an uh adrix and nev twin casters are you running like an afeto alchemist you know are you running uh, arcane artisan you know are you running uh i don't know there's so so 
many wizards <laughs> that <laughs> it could possibly be a Baral chief of compliance, you know. So anything uh, in that regard, if your deck has a lot of them, like the best blue creatures tend to be wizards often, especially the like easily castable ones. So I would be on the lookout and uh, I'm going to run the crap out of this card. I, I think it's crazy. I think it's really, really good. Um, but that gets us to our artifacts, of which there are some things. Oh, There's well, a lot to say one about. One question <laughs> before you jump into artifacts. Oh, sure. Enor uh, is copyrighted, right? It's got to be. Uh, is Lord of the Rings still copyrighted at this point? Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't been cheaper to license. Otherwise, we wouldn't get that like Middle Earth Enterprise copyright in the, the bottom right of all these LTR cards. Um. So this one might be tricky to reprint is what, the, was what I'm driving at. So maybe pick this one up soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like it goes into public domain in uh, sometime in the 2040s. So, ah, good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's when you can expect a reprint, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yep, definitely pick up some before people realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to get into these artifacts? Sure. Uh, first one is Anduril Flame of the West. It's three mana for a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three plus one. Whenever equipped creature attacks, create two tapped one one white spirit creature tokens with flying. If that creature is legendary, instead create two of those tokens that are tapped and attacking. And it has equip two. Um, I think this is pretty solid rates. Uh, I think your deck probably has to care about the tokens in some way. Either you're sacrificing them or bumping them up considerably. Um, I don't think this is just like a card you slap into, you know, like a Voltron list. I think you really want to be going hard in some way. Um, like, Putting this on, mm, putting this on like a um, a Merton Stromgald. That sounds kind of sweet. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or putting this like on your commander when you've got a, when you're running like a lot of attrition effects or skull clamp or whatever. That seems fine too. Um, yeah, I don't think this is just. I don't think this goes in every like deck that just cares about equipment. But what do you think? I don't feel the same. Uh, I think this is really good in uh, just like a few decks. Like if you're doing like a ton of the blood sower type thing, like more guys is just generally better. Uh, you're like Jorkadines. This is an artifact. Uh, the attacking spirits could be possibly four ones on the attack, you know, by the time you're swinging um, or like Catilda Donhart martyr the like the second one the dead one <laughs> um it, which i'm still confused did she come back from the dead in mom like what was going on with that Am so I does she come I, back yeah i don't understand story? i need to look it up that's it was not covered in the story set on Innistrad. um let me maybe maybe something happened at the end of like crimson vow maybe she came back from maybe she stopped being a ghost then. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. <laughs> but that that's one. And then uh King of the Oathbreakers, you know, the one we uh talked about before with the spirits and the tokens and the 
phasing and stuff. You know, that's it's all pretty good. I guess Marnius Calgar too. You could pretty reasonably run this and have a good time. So yeah, there's just like a bunch of decks that this will be pretty good, and you'll you'll know when you want this because, like you said, it's solid rates. Um, okay, uh, here is the answer regarding Catilda. Um, so. Catilda was restored was returned to her body with the combined efforts of the Dawnheart Coven. Um Oh, that's the back half of her. That's what that that's what it is. It's like the um when it's not night anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't realize that she stopped being a I figured because it was an aura that she was still dead. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Joke's on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, she is still alive. Good to know. Um, moving on to the next card, though. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Do you want me to read this one off? Yeah. So this is Bilbo's Ring. It is a legendary artifact equipment. Costs three mana. Uh, and it says, as long as it's your turn, equipped creature has hexproof and can't be blocked. Whenever equipped creature attacks alone, you draw a card and you lose one life. And then it has two equip abilities. It has equip halfling for one and equip for four. So only the little the little folk get the, the, the discount here, you know. But uh, this seems good. <laughs> yes. This... I I think this is a good card. I also love that it's just hexproof on your turn. Like just mm-hmm. annoying enough, but like not so annoying that everyone like groans forever. Yeah. Very nice. No, this is pretty this is pretty sweet. Um I like this in like Arden, Bruinor, or like any of the other like white X equipment commanders that can cheat equip costs. Um so just like, you know, playing Arden, playing this, slapping it down. And then now your like Voltrani commander just can't be blocked and draws you a card every turn. Great. Um, I also, I mean, it, it's also worth noting that the halfling part is relevant for like um, some of the hobbits about that care about getting in. So that would be Frodo, adventurous hobbit, um, which. He has the ability, um, when he attacks, if you gained three or more life this turn, the ring tempts you, and then if he is your ring bearer and the ring's tempted you two or more times this game, draw a card. So that's something. Um, Also, uh, one of the golems I I thought would make a lot of sense here, Um, specifically uh, Golem Scheming Guide. Oh, yeah. He, you know, wants to attack uh well actually maybe not that one because <laughs> if it works out you draw a card and can't be blocked this turn anyway but maybe like a golem obsessed stalker since he wants to deal damage to everyone in order to get the max damage out of his trigger um so i mean you can figure it out if your commander is a hobbit and wants to attack you can throw this in there and it'll probably be good i, I think the more interesting use though is just uh, when you're avoiding either of these equip costs. Yeah. No, I was going to say the same thing. Like, there's just like a, uh, if you're doing like a Sergwin Voltron or like a Wyleth Voltron or something, like, why not draw more cards? You know, 
so the next one, we got more swords. You know, we got a lot of swords, got a lot of armor, uh, got a lot of horns for some reason, you know, a lot of horns in uh, Lord of the Rings. This next one is a sword, though. This is Glamdring. This is a two mana legendary artifact equipment that says equipped creature has first strike and gets plus one plus O oh for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. And whenever a quip creature deals combat damage to a player, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand with mana value less than or equal to that damage without paying its mana cost. Um, how do you feel about this card? Uh, I'm kind of low on it. If you ignore the like combat damage trigger, it looks like a rune chanter's pike. Mm-hmm. Um, rune chanter's pike is two mana equip for two. Equip creature has first strike and gets plus two or plus one plus zero for each instant sorcery card in your graveyard. So very similar. Um, that's only in 7,000 decks on EDH rec. There's just not a lot of decks out there that are trying to cast a bunch of spells and also like get Voltroni. Um, the second ability is interesting. Um, I was thinking... Um, oh, I'll actually, like I should mention though, one of the places that where Rune Chainer's Pike is good that this could potentially also be good um, is Vadric Astral Archmage. So in that deck, you really want your commander's power to be high because it reduces your, your instant sorceries costs by that much. And then, of course, you want a lot of instant sorceries to gain advantage off of that. Um, so that could be a place for this. It is a pretty expensive like equip cost if that's what you're trying to do. So not sure how amazing that is. Um, <laughs> And then one other place that like could potentially get some more advantage of the second half here. Um, I was thinking like Tetsuo Imperial Champion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the three mana, three, three, uh, like DMC box topper. And when he attacks, if it's equipped, choose one. Uh, he deals damage equal to the highest mana value among equipment attached to it to any target. Or... You may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand with mana value less than or equal to the highest mana value among equipment attached to Tetsuo without paying its mana cost. So that deck wants its commander to be equipped and is planning on casting um, cheap spells out of its hand. So I think that like that could be a deck where you run this. Because it's just like more ways to get free mana. Um, And also like ways to... I think that deck also runs like Ancestral Vision and maybe like Wheel of Fate and some of the other like um, suspend cards without mana costs. That could be just another way to get those cards out of your hand. Um, That's kind of what I'm thinking about. I don't know if you have any more thoughts on the card. No. Yeah, I was uh I think Tetsuo is pretty much the only deck that screamed out at me, which means this is not going to be an expensive card. <laughs> <laughs> um and I love that because uh I always thought that Gandalf Sword was really cool. And uh they did. They made it a very cool, weird niche card, which is perfect for a wizard sword. So uh the next one is Horn of Gondor. So like I said, this is a whole got some some horns, some armor, some swords. Horn of Gondor is a three-mana legendary artifact. Uh, It says, when Horn of Gondor enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. So you get a 1-1 for three. 
and it has three tap create x one one white human soldier creature tokens where x is the number of humans you control um okay so so you you can just put this in any deck right you can just start (laughs) paying six for two guys you know it's pretty good like maybe right uh no maybe maybe perhaps not Uh, (laughs) not the best uh, no no this definitely uh seems amazing in human tribal just like if you have any human presence to start with just paying six mana getting one more human and then doubling all your guys uh it seems great because like um and then like every turn after that you're just gonna grow exponentially and you only have to pay three each time just seems like very in very short order you're gonna have an overwhelming army Uh, i've seen this like go off in limited and it is uh quite insane it's worth noting that like um you know it if an opponent wipes the board then yeah you gotta like start the snowball all over again but whatever that's true of other similar cards anyway so yeah i think this is great in the few human tribal decks in the format um if you're just like kind of accidentally running a bunch of humans then and like you're like going wide somehow then this is worth looking into um it does maybe probably too much to ask yeah it's not like a cash <laughs> card i was thinking like if you're copying the activations it does that even if you start off with just the one human you can get crazy kind of quick but it does eh, it's maybe that's too much maybe that's too slow yeah, yeah. i mean if you, like yeah <laughs> at, at what point on the curve do you want to st- start off at like how many humans do you think you need to have out there first for it to be like immediately good to like play and activate if i i think if i'm getting three humans off the activation i'm like upset but satisfied and if i'm getting four plus i'm happy i think that's where i think i want four humans because that's where i'm like okay, this is a normal rate. And if I'm getting anything more than that, I'm like, okay, this is a great rate. So that's that's probably where I want to start after feeling it out. Okay. Yeah, no, that's totally reasonable. Um, I think that I'm probably there unless I'm getting some other kind of value from the guys entering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. If I can get more value like a I don't know, this brand cards, or whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Then that's fine. Well, do you want to know what the next card is in the set? What is the next card? Well, it's a horn. It's Horn of the Mark. It's a very horny set. Clearly. It's a very very horny set. So we got another legendary artifact. It's two mana. Uh so Horn of the Mark says whenever two or more creatures you control attack a player, look at the top five cards of your library you may reveal a creature card from among them put it into your hand and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order okay so two mana basically draw engine and a creature heavy deck that wants to attack so what does that what what does that mean to you (laughs) how do you feel about this so i'll start off by saying like you're looking at the top five. You're trying to get at least one creature. 
um, hypergeometric calculator says if you've got 27 creatures in your deck, you've got an 80% hit rate on that trigger. Um, if you've got 36 creatures in your deck, that's a 90% hit rate on that trigger. Um, other things to note, uh, the way this is worded, whenever two or more creatures you control attack a player, um, you can actually get it multiple times per combat. So if you send two creatures at opponent A, two creatures at opponent B, two creatures at opponent C, you're going to get three different triggers. Um, so that's a, another way to like potentially get some more value out of this card. Um, it seems really good. Like if you're going way wide with tokens, um, then like two mana to draw three cards per turn is wild. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it's it's not like a coastal piracy, but it's half the cost and doesn't require blue mana. So I'm not going to complain. Um, I, I guess the main issue, though, is like if you're heavy tokens, you still want to make sure that you got the. It might there might be some competition between like a lot of things that generate tokens are instants and sorceries, and that might cut down on your hit rate for the card. Mm-hmm. But it might come out in the wash, like if you're able to get more triggers by just having more bodies and sending them more direction, then you might you could potentially still end up with more cards even if your hit rate is lower. Um, uh, regardless of what the answer is there, I think this is a great card for go wide decks. I'm very pleased with it. And you can figure out for yourself like exactly how good it's going to be for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very large advocate for that hypergeometric calculator um i really don't have anything to add i'm just gonna play this card i have a bunch of decks that want to play that card and i'm excited about it um like can you imagine god can you imagine a lot of these cards but this one in particular like you're you're a boros player in 2013 and horn of the mark comes out like you just would lose it right (laughs) like you would have just lost your mind Oh yeah, that'd be it a would, good time. It would have been insane. Now it's just a just another piece of cardboard. <laughs> um, so I mean, it is exciting to see more like rewards for attacking with two or more creatures. Like we're getting, yeah. we're getting there. There were two just in this set, um, and we saw Chivalric Alliance in the Mom Commander decks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're inching our way towards something. Yeah, slowly. I'm into it. I love it. Keep it coming. Keep it coming, Wizards. Studio uh-huh. X, you're doing great. All right, so this one is actually kind of wild because of the card that everyone is going to think about when they hear me read it off. So it's Mithril Coat. Uh, it is a three-mana legendary artifact equipment. Uh, it has Flash. It also has Indestructible. When Mithril Coat enters the battlefield, attach it to target legendary creature you control. Equipped creature has indestructible, and it has a quip of three. So, uh, I mean, the most apt, closest comparison is Darksteel Plate. Um, and can you uh, can you let the listeners at home know how many decks are running Darksteel Plate currently? Yes, so Dark Steel Plate is in 56,000 decks on EDH Rec. It's a doozy. Um, <laughs> and this isn't strictly better, but it's still ridiculously better. Because the thing is, like, I mean, obviously you're putting it on a legendary creature. This is Commander. Yeah, it costs more to equip it, uh, to, like, re-equip it. But the thing is, like, 
what else would you want to equip it to? And how the hell are they going to kill your commander? What like so that you would then have to recast and equip it? Like they got to have exile removal or force sacrifice or minus x minus x or something. But it's just like the part that looks like a downside is is not super relevant. The flash is incredible. Uh, it's I mean. I mean Slapping this out there in response to removal, wow, um, yeah, no, this this card is amazing, and fortunately, um, Middle Earth Enterprises does not own the rights to Mithril, so this could be something we see again in the future. Yes, yes, thank, thank uh, the Dark Lord for that one. You know, mm-hmm. that's a uh, very happy that this is a reprintable card, and it's it's yeah. I had cut dark steel plate from a lot of my decks, like other than the Voltroniest Voltron, which I really don't, I don't even think I have together at this point in time, just because it was so much, you know, it's like, yes, this is good when it works, but like you get blown out by it once or twice and you just feel awful. This is a lot better, a lot better. So very excited about it. Um, but I guess do you want to? We're we're getting close to the end, but we're not there yet. So we had a lot of horns. Now we're gonna have some orbs. You know, we're gonna have some more orbs and swords. We're in the orbs and swords section of the the show. Do you want to read off this first orb? All right. Uh, this first orb is Palantir of Orthanc. It is three mana for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, put an influence counter on Palantir of Orthanc and scry two. Then target opponent may have you draw a card. If that player doesn't, you mill X cards, where X is the number of influence counters on Palantir of Orthanc, and that player loses life equal to the total mana value of those cards. Uh, so, this may be a colorless card, but I think it is uh, really narrow in its applications. I was thinking you probably want a deck with an unusually high mana curve in colors that can't draw cards well, and ideally in an archetype that wants to fill the graveyard. Um, so, I was thinking about testing this in Felden of the Third Path that runs a lot of huge, like, seven to ten mana creatures and once again in the graveyard and you're in mono red so you can't draw cards that good um but even there it seems very slow it seems like it's going to take a lot of time to really have a, a large impact um what are your thoughts on palantir for think i really like the puzzle that this is presenting me I don't know if that's necessarily the best. Like the, again, like I was saying before, like it's 2013, you're a Boros player and this card comes out, like you would lose it, right? Like like this is the kind of thing where it's basically card advantage in like mono brown, like mono color, but these days that's not really necessary. Like most colors can like fend for themselves in a way that they just haven't been able to for most of Magic's history. But Felden is one I would want to put this in if you're like reanimating stuff. So like maybe like a chainer or something like that, like chainer, but both of them, I guess 2.0 and 1.0. Um, 
you're like, do you want me to draw this card or do you want me to reanimate it later? Or do you want me to mill something that I could possibly reanimate? Um, like that seemed pretty good to me. Uh, so again, this is kind of like niche power, but I, I do like it. It's just not, um, not very applicable in a lot of places. That's, that's basically where I'm at with it. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm there with you. I'm happy to move on to the next card. Uh, so the next card is File of Galadriel. It's three cost legendary artifact. If you would draw a card while you have no cards in hand, draw two cards instead. And then if you would gain life while you have five or less life, you gain twice that much life instead. And it has tap, add one mana of any color. So this is what I'm talking about when it comes to three cost mana rocks. Um, like the base case of, you know, you, you don't have an empty hand and you're got a healthy life total, but it's still just like a mana lith. Okay, fine. Um, but there's a lot of decks out there that can empty their hand or want to empty their hand where this really pops off. Um, so I'm thinking like uh, Burgi and the Harnfell. Um, so Harnfell oh, is yeah. you discard a card and impulse draw two and you can play them this turn. So you're not drawing cards and you're, em- and you're getting your hand empty. And then like if one of those cards you impulse draw is like, you know, um, or actually even better, if, if you just have like a lot of uh, rummaging effects so spells like oh yeah <laughs> tormenting voice or whatever if you go down to zero in the process then you just get an extra card on the way back up um you can also i was thinking like malfagor empties his hand all the time that's his whole shtick so and he runs like a lot of uh symmetrical discard so you're probably always going to have an empty hand or you you will often have an empty hand going into your draw step. Um, so just more value for you there. Uh, one of them that seemed especially sweet was Aerith. Um, and this is, I've got to learn how to spell her correctly. Uh, Aerith <laughs> tormented prophet. So she's blue red uh, or one blue red for a two four legendary creature human wizard. If you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library. Instead, you may play those cards this turn. So I think you can just apply the replacement effects in the order you want and just make it so that, okay, I've got no cards in hand going into my draw step. First, I apply the file. And so I would draw two cards and then I apply Aerith. And instead of drawing those two cards, I just impulse draw two cards for each of them so four cards total um and then if any of those things i impulse draw like get me more cards then i can do i can just apply it again and i am tearing through my library at this point that seems very very good in that deck uh and there's other decks too where they just like can get hellbent pretty easily um i as far as just like a manalith that can draw you an extra card per turn that this seems like an incredible rate. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on this one. No, really. I mean, you basically hit the nail on the head. I, I love like this, <laughs> like this, this is such a cool mana rock. Like 
talk about like pushing a three mana mana rock, you know, like get me to slow the game down. <laughs> this is how you do it, wizards. Like this is the kind of incentive people want. So yeah, I if I'm gonna play a manolith, it's gonna be like this, you know. Um, but I really don't have too much more to add other than like I had a Subira Tolzidi Caravaneer deck, which is like pitch your hand and then uh whenever a creature you control power two or less deals combat damage, draw a card. Um, like I would have I would have played this in there, you know, like getting life or whatever is pretty good. Um like wheel decks or whatever, pretty good. Um Zerzoth, you know, I'd play it in. So there's there's like a lot of um a lot of places that <laughs> this is gonna be very relevant. So um not to belabor the point too much. But this next one I think is our last sword for the set. Um and true. It's a it's a famous one. So this is Sting the Glinting Dagger. So Sting is a two mana legendary artifact equipment uh, that says equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has haste at the beginning of each combat untap equipped creature and equipped creature has first strike as long as it's blocking or blocked by a goblin or orc and then it's equipped cost is two um i i'm into this this seems great like this is the coolest way to do this that they have done so far yes uh i agree there are too many commanders to list that synergize with this just like really any commander with a tap ability that you want to be doing a lot um like krenko seems pretty darn sick like you get to double your your goblins four times in one round of turns like maronar uh (laughs) Kiki Jiki, like Visara the Dreadful, just so many. Look up any commander with a tap ability um, that does anything at all, and this is going to look pretty good in it. Um, um, I'm stoked for this card. This seems like a fantastic uh, addition to the format. Yeah, I basically am going to play this in a ton of decks that I have. Uh, and I'm not going to apologize. I love this thing. It's so cool. Uh, and reasonable. Like, two mana and then two to equip. Like, think about all of the, like, the uh, the bracers that copy activated abilities or, like, sort of the parents or, like, the, the other options that we had had up until this point in, like, in regards to equipment. Like, this is so much cooler and better and more fun and it's fair. Oh, and- yeah. Bracers look so bad in comparison. Like yeah. bracers uh cost one more to equip, uh don't give it haste, and only give you like one extra activation per round of turns. This gives haste and three extra activations. Like uh yeah, we were starving before now. We didn't know our own worth. We didn't know what we deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um but that being said, um I think this is the last orb we're going to talk about. So we've ended the swords and orbs section of the podcast. So this is stone of Eric, right? Is that how you say that stone of Eric? Oh man. Don't ask me how to pronounce anything in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's E R E C H. And I've never had to say it out loud. So, um, (laughs) this, this is what it does though. It's a one mana 
legendary artifact that says, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. And then it has two, tap, sacrifice stone of Eric, exile, target player's graveyard, draw a card. Um, so the flavor text is, uh, at the stone of Eric, they shall stand again and hear their a horn in the hills ringing. So it's like a seeing stone. Ooh, it's like not really important, but it does exist. This is an uncommon in the set. Um, and I, like I said, if I'm saying it wrong, please berate me, uh, but nicely, kindly, please. Um, cause I don't know how to say it right, but how do you feel about this card? What, where are you playing this? Is it replacing anything? All that good um, stuff. I think, so I think it's like comparable to like a relic of progenitus, um, or like a, a Nile spell bomb. It's not as good. It's a little more spency to activate this thing, but I think that like, if you're in a heavy, like heavy graveyard based meta and you really just want to run as many effects as possible that like that nuke somebody's graveyard and then like replace themselves with a card then this is a another option i would consider maybe like probably number four but uh maybe number five but still just like a good option if you're really going for a critical mass because like everyone's trying to mess around with the graveyard. Yeah. It's honestly like I always forego graveyard hate and then I'm always amazed like <laughs> how effective it is when I run run it too. I'm like, oh man, cuz there are some things that I'm like the only person in the playgroup who does um or like one of the few people in the playgroup who'll do. But um a lot of people playing out in the graveyard these days. There's just a lot of good commanders for it. So, you know, easy to pick up. And like you said, it's comparable to Relic. So if you just don't happen to have one, you pick one up at a pre-release, it's a pretty easy thing just to slot in to a list. Um, so we have the last uh, last artifact for the set. So, And then we only have one more land after this to talk about. So let's get into it do you do you want me to read it or do you want to talk about it first or how, how are you feeling uh go ahead and read it off all right so this is the one ring so it's a four mana legendary artifact that is indestructible it says when the one ring enters the battlefield if you cast it you gain protection from everything until your next turn at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring and it has tap put a bird encounter on the one ring, then draw a card for each bird encounter on the one ring. Um, so I, I do want to say, I do love that. Like if you don't use the ring, it doesn't hurt you. I think that's like amazing flavor mm -hmm. there. Uh, the protection from everything is very fun. I, I think this is just a like power level agnostic. This is a really cool, design and a really cool way to like make this card uh, just because it can go in pretty much any deck like it's it's good enough for any deck and that's where the power level comes in like this is just pretty good <laughs> this is just a card like most decks will be happy playing if that's something 
that you're into, you know, especially if you have like extra synergies or you can remove counters or you can tap it multiple times in a turn, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've I've had the opportunity to play against it a couple times on Arena so far, just like jamming Historic Brawl. And wow, it's a lot of cards. It's a lot of cards. <laughs> um, just like somebody was playing it in like a Gandalf the White deck, and it's just like, White shouldn't be doing this. This feels wrong. <laughs> it's it's just incredible. Like, um, I mean, I think if it was me, I would go ham and just like always, and I think that's what you do. You just like, you know, draw one card, take one dammy, draw two cards, take two dammies. Just like, you got to risk it. You got to go for it. Because like, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to find an answer, even though it's indestructible, just like maybe, maybe tilt your, if you're trying to do control, maybe just like orient your removal a little bit so that you can hit the one ring like maybe d spark gets slightly better mm-hmm. and, and worthy of consideration when you've got um the one ring in your deck uh or just like you know play a deck that can win play a deck that has like win conditions where you know once you draw 10 or 15 cards off of this thing uh you ought to be able to win the game at that point um but this is super good you don't even have to really build around it that much it's just uh it did kill some of my opponents like some of my opponents did die to their own the one ring but they drew an impressive amount of cards in the turns leading up to that um to the point where it's just like they have to have drawn their d spark by this point (laughs) like i i was so certain when i saw them untap with just like a billion cards in hand um yeah, they had to have something, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's very, very good. Um, this is some of the best colorless draw we've ever seen. I feel, uh, I mean, it's okay. It's no memory jar, but yeah, <laughs> um, very few things are. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's very, very good. Um, and the the fog, yeah, fog's fine. So um, it'll buy you some time, I guess. Um, but it, yeah, this is really solid. I don't have yeah. much more to say about it. Yeah, uh, I do. It's, it's, I have uh, just some notes to say about it, just for people who like want to play with this card in general. Like the protection from everything until your next turn can be relevant. You you won't be able to target your spell self with like other spells, so like be very careful about that. Um. And then the burden counter is like, if you can tap it a bunch of times in a turn, um, you draw the cards without taking the damage because the damage is on your upkeep. So that those are the two things to like look out for if you're really trying to to if you're playing a deck that like targets yourself a lot or targets players a lot. Like, um, like an example would be like I have the uh, Jorel Empress of Beasts list, uh, and her trigger is like three tap discard two cards target player um so i and the one ring would be pretty good in that because drawing two cards is pretty easy to do with this <laughs> with this card um but you you just have to be careful so uh that's that's my notes i, I really don't have much more to add to what you said other than that like this like, once again this is just 
not something that we could have gotten like 10 years ago, you know, like this is very, uh, the design is very good and cool and fun and I'm, I'm really into it, but um, this is indicative of like the time period that we are living in, in regards to mm. magic design. So yes. I'm happy, I'm happy to be living in this, this time period, you know, I had a lot of fun, but I like seeing stuff like this too. It's fun, fun to get sets like this um which gets us to the last card do you want me to read it uh before we jump into the very last card i do want to just add a little note on mithril coat oh sure sure uh so earlier i said oh jrr Tolkien doesn't or the the Tolkien estate doesn't own mithril so maybe we could see the reprint uh turns out that's not that might not be totally true um because when i said that i thought oh i've seen like mithril things in D and D, turns out in D and D they spell mithril with an A, um, and maybe oh. they did that specifically to avoid uh, litigious descendants of Mister JRR. <laughs> um, so that one might be tricky to reprint, and it could be something you prioritize out of the set. Just a thought. Okay, that's that uh, is very important. I I didn't realize the D and D one was with an A. That's really funny. Uh, but uh if you would like to read off the last card let's let's close out this set review yes so this is shire terrace so this is a land it taps for a colorless and it has one tap sacrifice shire terrace search your library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle um wow uh i i every now and then we'll still play like the panoramas from alara block just because um you know they're on color or the deck has like landfall themes or wants to fill up the graveyard and they do that or i just want to run less like lands quote quote in the deck you know like lands that tutor out lands aren't mm-hmm. actually like yes they fix your mana but they're not actually like lands and then the every the, blah 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 um this is probably just better right like this is I would say this is better than the panoramas. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, easily. Like the panoramas, they they it's not like they can get dual lands or anything. They they all say basic on there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is just better. Um. I mean, it's overall worse than like Terramorphic Expanse or Evolving Wilds, I think. Um. But if I'm going deep on landfall triggers or Crucible effects, um, I would still run this card. This is like part of the package i would think of if i'm just trying to maximize my ability to play lands repeatedly out of my graveyard yeah definitely gonna do that (laughs) i love crucible so yeah i once again like i didn't say it that many times but we did say it more than most sets like another staple (laughs) like for the for commander is another card you're just gonna see a lot and i'm really excited about for um popper just as a side note Mm. i like these cards i like ash barons um that's a card that i've run a lot and i feel like this is basically the same but probably better just because it taps for mana the turn probably you try well you know. ash barons taps for mana too uh, that's true i guess you need the one cash it in for colored mana yeah that's true um well i'm gonna think about that i'm gonna brew some popperless um yeah I, I think it's like if you're looking at colorless like common or uncommon um like you know lands like this 
I think it's, I, I would say it's worse than Terramorphic Evolving Wilds Ash Barons, but um, I'd say it's number four in that, that hierarchy. Yeah. Um, and with that, with the, the number four in the hierarchy, <laughs> uh, set, set in stone, uh, that's it. We did it. Do you, uh, do you want to give any final thoughts? I mean, I know this is a long episode to, um, so, you know, if you want to cut it short, we can, but do you want to give any final thoughts on the Lord of the Rings main set? Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep it to like the main set. I think in predictions, I'll do like an overall like thing, but specifically like the cards we talked about, like main deck cards, um, I'm pretty happy with the batch of things we got. Like the colors that got the most, well, I guess green got a lot of stuff, but green was already like pretty busted. You know, like there's not, like you talked about, there's not a lot of topping like a rich car's expertise at this point. Like mm-hmm. Entish Restoration is very good, but it's like not good in a way where everyone is going to complain about it, stuff like that. Um, yeah. And the colors that didn't get that much stuff, like let's say the blue, you know, blue didn't get too much crazy stuff. Blue also is just busted in general. (laughs) Like Mm. they are going to need to figure out more like fun stuff for blue to do. I feel like in the the coming years, because like there's, have we not gotten like one of the best, like blue X draw X spells, you know, recently, like the convoke one, like, do we, how many more of these are we going to see, you know, like, but I, I am happy with what is in the set. I think that the cards are cool. I think they're powerful in places that count. They're fun, uh, more so than not. And I think they just hit a flavor home run. So that, that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. I, I'm really excited to, uh, to get to play with these cards. And I'm, I think they did a really good job. For the most part, I think there's some, well, you know, like the temp, the ring tempting mechanic is, is not say, super say flavorful, you, <laughs> you know, it's, it's bad. It's, I'm not going to say the mechanic is bad. I feel like it's fun to play with, but it's like not what it should be, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And like, I guess I'm like, you know, the couch sofa referee or whatever you know i'm sitting on the couch like yelling at the tv about the play these like professional athletes are making like it's not like i was tasked with creating a mechanic for the lord of the Rings set but um it does feel like everything else in the set was such like a home run that that's like the one like glaring uh what am i what am i thinking of like it's so not a flavor win when everything else is it's the biggest standout to me of something that went wrong. I keep trying to say like wrong, but it's not like all the way wrong. Cause it's not like, it's not fun. It's just doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. Okay. I got you. Um, yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. Um, there, there's certainly like choices in this, um, set that like, don't fully match the flavor, like amassing, um, when like when you're like amassing orcs, it doesn't really feel like an army. Like you don't feel like you're, you know, seeing a thousand orcs clash against a thousand like mounted riders. 
it's just like, oh, I, I will chump with my one one token and all my other guys come back and smack you. Like um the uh, one of the most notable things certainly about like the movies is just like the the scale of the battles. And I don't know if you really I mean you can get that in like the red white archetype that's all about going wide. But like you don't get a sense of just um how many freaking orcs there are <laughs> yeah <laughs> when they're all stacked up like that um and i'm i'm sure it's that choice was made um uh, because they decided a mass played well after war of the spark and they just were really going for gameplay okay they want people to have a good experience um i i think that like parts of the ring tempting you is flavorful i think the fact you know the skulk that kind of makes sense um i'm not gonna knock it too hard and like having a a ring bearer become legendary like yeah frodo was just a guy until it turns out he could carry the ring okay i i think overall i think what you said about like blue not having super powerful cards is interesting like and having how them it seems like they had trouble finding the fun in blue in a set that's like very aimed at casual i think that makes sense to me yeah. Um I like that a lot of the most important cards are named in such a way that they can be reprinted. Um Yes, that I I really really hope that they did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uh so like Orcish Bowmasters being clearly the, you know, one of the the marquee cards of the set and also being able to be put into many, many magic settings. That's fantastic. Love that. Um, it's not fully perfect. I mean, the mithril coat. Uh, yeah, not really getting around that one. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe um, maybe they'll come back to Middle Earth. Like if this set does well, and they, they sure are marketing the hell out of it, um, then... There's more books. Who knows? Um, yeah. How do you feel about the the legendary theme, and especially like having freaking four versions of every major character? I actually, so I do actually like that. I kind of touched on that in the, like the legendary creature episode, but I think that the pressure to not have like the Frodo or like the Legolas or you know the Aragorn is is good because you can show like these characters are multifaceted they had three books of like development um there's a lot of stuff that happens uh they're like it it would be weird if like legolas was mono blue or like mono green or you know whatever like the whole time so having Mm -hmm. multiple versions of like gimli of frodo i think lessens the restrictions on like the designers to just like the pressure of like oh we gotta nail frodo because like frodo is multiple things as the book progresses you know he's he's just some dude at first and then like becomes like a lot more than that like as the book moves on so i i like that there's multiple like versions of cards because it also gives players like a way to like connect to a like a character that they like in multiple points in the story and then yes i know bilbo we have, yeah it's fine whatever you know 
he's at the same party and he's multiple colors. That's fine. Don't think about it. Um, both of those cards are cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm fine with that one. Um, so I, I, I think in general, I'm still pro way too many legends in a set. Like, even though it's like a chore for us, um, and I feel like a lot of people feel overwhelmed by it. What ends up happening, like what's been happening the last like few years is that people are like, wow, there's sure are a lot of legends. And then it goes away in the set. Like people buy cards they like, or don't look at all the cards or whatever. And then you go to an event or a card shop and you're like, watcher in the water. What does that do? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like what's going on? So I, I think it again, I, I've said this before, but I think it mimics a lot of the feeling of like the early format where there's still like discovery. Um, and if they have to do that by just creating so much noise that it's impossible for a normal human to keep up with it, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, I, I haven't too many legends and sets is not the reason I've seen people like stop playing magic recently. (laughs) Um, Okay, I, I I'll I'll say that I don't think it's like an existential threat. Yeah, what's going there's on? There's other here. there's other existential threats that they may or may not be participating yeah. in. I, I'm thinking more just about like, um, and I I hear what you're saying about like it is important to show the character development. Like Frodo at the end of uh, the Return of the King is not the person he was at the start of Fellowship, um, but. Uh, and and like I I do like the cases where it's like clearly the same character, but they like go by different names at different points in the story, like Strider versus Aragorn or Smeagol versus Gollum. Um, but a a lot of these legends just like aren't relevant for Commander. That's why we skipped over so many of them. Um, and it's it just like logistically, it's so it's so annoying not even just as like a set reviewer but just like to refer to cards um when there's three gimlies in the same set like normally when we talk about oh, it's yeah <laughs> when we normally when we talk about legends we are able to at least say like uh jessica 2.0 or nahiri 2.0 like like we're able to use you know time to at least save a little bit uh, just shorthand some things but you can't really do that when there's three gimlies um it's just like gimli the mono red one no the other mono red one um like the the names all run together i couldn't if you asked me like what the difference is between gimli mournful avenger and like gimli whatever the the guy who loves the caves um i don't i can't connect these two things together maybe that's just my fault for being unable to memorize 80 cards but or 80 like very similar card names i guess it doesn't matter the the target audience is just random joe schmo who was never going to be memorizing yeah a million cards anyway it's kind of where i where i am at with it that's how i feel about it is like if this gets like Tolkien fans into magic and I have more friends to play with, that's good. And if people are happy that like 
you make a Gimli counter of kills and they make a Legolas counter of kills and you play each other, you know what I mean? Like then that's also good. I, I It is funny that I have to specify which Gimli, but I, I feel like you go like, Oh, well it's, it's more egregious for like the golems and stuff in the set. <laughs> um, because like there's multiple black ones where there's like it, Gimli, there's like a red and a red green. You can be like, oh, the two color Gimli. You know what I mean? Well, there's um, another mono red Gimli in the precons, but I don't know. Oh, oh, I forgot about the precon <laughs> one. Um, but it's it's the kind of thing where, like, like you said, it's I I feel like most people aren't going to care enough about it in a few months. But we'll have a good time when someone shows up with the mono red precon Gimli that they forgot about, <laughs> and <laughs> and all of a sudden there's like a new fun deck at the table. Um, it was already happening with like you know the Strixhaven commanders and stuff like that. Um, well, I think they like clearly took the lesson there, and they were like, "Oh, this is too many words, and it's too con-. like mm-hmm. they." I have heard Wizards employees like respond to that sentiment um mm-hmm. and, and maybe it won't be a problem here maybe i'll just like check back in a month and i'll be able to name all these cards like i usually am able to but um or at least be able to look them up effectively um okay last thing to say about this and then i think we can close it out um just that i think from my initial impression it seems like this set is going to sell well. I think this is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. What are what are your thoughts? No, I think it is. I think it's already successful by like a lot of metric, like just by the fact that if you wanted to buy a box of collector booster packs, like it's just an absurd price. Like there's a ton of commanders people seem to be really excited about, which is another reason I'm like pretty high on it. Um, I think all in all, this is a success. Like my personal gripes aside, and us ragging on build a pony aside, you know, like this is definitely a set with a bunch of cards that I'm going to play for a long time. I think they hit the the ball out of the park and did it in a way where like it's not crazy complicated, which is just a huge, huge, huge benefit. So. Um, the fact that these cards are easy to grok so a new player could pick them up and be like oh yes of course hobbit sting um of course forge anew frodo sauron's bane that's cool um very great wonderful super into that so um yeah i just i hope people uh let us know what they're most excited about let us know the decks that they build um and the specific things like, you know, Call of the Ring, how's that going for you? Stuff like that. Um, I'm really excited to hear what other people think about this too. Because um, you're, you're the ones who matter. You're the ones we're going to play with. So <laughs> it'd be really nice to to see everyone's opinions on stuff. And people in our Discord already are. But if you're listening to this, you're not in the Discord, you know, it's just, it's a, just a dollar to jump in. Or you can just like message us on social media because I'm, I'm interested. I want to know what you think. Um, but all that said, 
Uh, and boy, was there a lot said. <laughs> um, do you want to bring this thing to a close? Yes. Uh, going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Carrie, Stephen, The Longs, Vincent, Maceo, Dylan, Cameron, Icy, Wiener, Aiden, and Scott. Thank you all for supporting the show and for bearing with me while my dog attacked her chew toy. Um, <laughs> if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. 